Yes, it's Debbie Gibson. Debbie Gibson is a very interesting individual. If you grew up in the 80s, if you were a guy in the 80s, you remember Debbie Gibson. You remember the Debbie Gibson and Tiffany, I wouldn't say feud, but rivalry. Now, I liked Debbie Gibson a lot better than Tiffany. I thought she was more talented. I thought she was better looking. Debbie Gibson actually wrote her own songs at the age of 17. Very successful pop songs in the 80s. It seemed like she had a very, very bright future ahead of her. But then she kind of fizzled out, but that's not the unusual thing about her. A lot of stars at a young age fizzle out despite their potential for the future. But what's kind of weird about Debbie Gibson is... I think... I think Debbie Gibson is a lesbian, and despite her very vocal support of gay rights, doesn't want to admit it. She's never been known to have a boyfriend, at least as far as I know. Um, She's like 44 now, not married, never been married, never been in any kind of relationship anyone's known of. Still looks very good for her age. And it's not like she's one of those people who's who would normally be afraid, you'd expect, to say that they're gay because she has a big gay following and marches and gay rights parades and all that, but she won't say that she's gay, but she won't really make it clear why she's never getting married and why she's never dating anyone. Really strange. Someone in the chat saying Kirk Gibson was God. You have to say I like Kirk Gibson even better than Debbie Gibson, at least in 1988. But um, I've just always been waiting to hear that Debbie Gibson is coming out of the closet, but then she just isn't. And it doesn't matter if she's a lesbian. It's just kind of strange that someone who's so pro-gay rights, who seems from all appearances to be gay herself, doesn't want to say it. Anyway. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Starting at our new 6.30 time. A little bit late for 6.30. But uh, pretty close. This is our new start time. I have bad news, though, if you want to play this week's free roll. Well, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we have $57 donated to the free roll, plus $5. And we uh, the $5 is actually for a bounty. But... Um, the good news is we have that. The bad news is that uh, we don't have a server for the free roll. Now, this has nothing to do with our server problems that we were having for the past few weeks. The main Poker Fraud Alert server is fine. The radio server, fine. What's not fine is the separate computer, which is not even located in the United States. It's run by one of our users named Bellybuster. That seems to be down. And since Bellybuster is in the UK and it's pretty late where he is. It's like uh, almost three in the morning. It's understandable that he's sleeping and does not realize that it's down. He usually catches this show in the archives. So, sadly, uh, I don't think we'll be having a free roll since the place to play the free roll is not up right now. That is the No Fraud Online Poker Room. I'm going to check one more time. I checked just before the show started just in case he got it up. And no, it's still down. 
So um, it was supposed to start at 7.10, but I don't think it's going to. I think Billy Buster is sleeping. I think it's going to be hours till he realizes that the free roll server, that the poker fraud alert, no fraud online poker server is down. So that is that. <laughs> Sorry about that. We will roll over all the money to next week. Don't worry about that. I won't even bother to give the speech about being eligible for the free roll because you can't play this week. But we have $50 from C-Money, 7 from Crow Diddley, and 5 for a bounty on Hot Like Sauce waiting in the wings for next week's free roll. It's funny, I'm reading the chat room right now. I played Debbie Gibson and now everybody's talking about Kirk Gibson. That's the big topic in the chat room. Nothing about poker, nothing about Debbie Gibson, but Kirk Gibson is the big topic here. His home run from now almost 26 years ago. But it was a great moment in sports, especially for a Dodger fan like myself. So let me tell you the ways you can get a hold of me if you want to talk to me during the show. We don't have a co-host on tap for tonight, but if one shows up, then we'll put him on. Otherwise, it'll just be me. But if you want to call me, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55-775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. You can also text me. You can also text me. If you heard that little sound in the background, that was my phone. I was texting someone, but you can text me. It's the same number as the main phone number to the show, 775-372-8355. That's 775-372-8355. already have a text here. This guy texts every single week. OMG, OMG, I got a boner. Shout out to C-Money for me, even though he won't stake a poor, non-popular poster. So, whoever this guy is thinks he's not popular and he thinks he will not get staked by C-Money. C-Money, who donates to our free roll many, many weeks, including this week, also does stakes for the World Series. See, this is what you get by being part of this community. This is not a big community, the Poker Fraud Alert Forum. We have a decent-sized listenership, but as far as the people who actively post and participate, it's not that big of a community. But we have generous people on the site, like C-Money, who not only donate to this free roll, but who also donate their money to active users on the system for the World Series. He actually has offered to put in eight different people with a very generous staking offer into one of the 1K no-limit events of the World Series this year. So, C-Money, a successful guy and a very generous guy. And if you're part of the Poker Fraud Alert Forum and you post actively, and you make good posts, and you contribute, maybe he'll be staking you next year. I'm not, I'm not trying to use C-Money for this. You know, he does what he wants. He's not expected to do anything. But I'm just saying that uh, there are even perks sometimes for being part of a smaller community like this, a smaller and dedicated community. A lot of people who post on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum have been posting on this forum or associated forums for the better part of 10 years. In fact, we're very near the 10-year anniversary of when I first signed on to Never Win Poker and made my first post there. And that's the 
site that kind of spawned a number of other sites, even though they all had nothing directly to do with one another. A lot of the user base followed from one site to another, and uh, that's where a lot of the people who are on this site originated from. Some newer people as well, but uh, wow, 10 years. So here is the agenda for tonight, and of course, if you want to talk to me, you can also talk to me in the chat room, but keep in mind, I can't read everything that's being said in the chat room. Because I'm doing a show. So I can't read a chat, and I especially can't really type very much in the chat. But I'll try to glance at it. Like right now I'm glancing at it, and Hockey Guy is saying, Fuck you, Druff. So, here's the agenda for tonight. But a lot of people like to use the chat room to talk to me, and as you'll hear on the agenda, we actually have something where you will be interacting with me, and people like to use the chat room for that, and that is the Ask Dan Druff feature, which I'm bringing back this week, because we didn't have that much time for it last week. Here's the agenda. Well, Lock Poker, I haven't talked about them in a few weeks, mainly because it's pretty much a done deal with them. It's pretty much over. They haven't shut down, but they have almost no traffic. The word is basically out about them. Only the most naive are still depositing there. They can't even afford their ads in Card Player anymore. At least I assume that's what happened. Card Player finally took their ads down, I'm assuming, because uh, Locke stopped paying them. I doubt Card Player suddenly grew a conscience after all this time. But Locke is really kind of yesterday's news. It's not quite down yet, but the main threat from Locke is mostly over. Just because the word's out about them, they don't have the money to market anymore. And it's pretty much done. Not to say that everyone who got their money stolen there, that that should be something that's forgotten or minimized, but at least for future threats to people, it's fairly minimal at this point. Which I'm glad about, and I'd like to congratulate everyone in the poker community who got together to make that happen. It was a joint effort of many parties, myself included. But by no means was I the only party. It was many people putting a lot of effort into this over a long time that really has sunk lock poker to be irrelevant. Not down, but irrelevant. But that doesn't mean that they stay down. You know at the end of a movie, of an action movie, when they want to do a sequel, and the villain who you think is dead, you think it's finally over, you think the villain has been done in by the hero. And at the very end, before the credits roll, You see the dead villain lying on the ground and all of a sudden his eyes open. That's pretty much happened with Lock Poker. Lock Poker's eyes have opened. Lock Poker appears to be attempting to start a new site and pretending it's not them. Trying to get a fresh start here. The site is called Super Winners. I'm, I'm not kidding. That's that's really the name. Uh, Super Winners. <laughs> I mean, you got to be kidding me here. Sorry, not Super Winners. Super Wins. Much better. Superwins.eu. 
Not 100% that this is lock poker, but all signs point to it. So, uh, we'll talk about what Super Wins is and might be. Keep a close eye on that. The good news is I don't think they have very much marketing money behind them. So, I don't think Super Wins is going to become the next lock that people are not aware is lock. I mean, if you think about it, UB kind of tried this in a way. They changed from Ultimate Bet to UB and claimed they were new owners when they really weren't to try to distance themselves from their very shady past. So I guess Locke is now going to become Super Wins. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence tying these two together. A lot of it. So we'll talk about that. Well, I on two a show two weeks ago, I played a call that I made to the Garden City group about my full tilt refund. I was very frustrated and very jealous because other people were receiving their money back from full tilt. Not really from full tilt, but from the government on behalf of full tilt that had been held up for almost three years now. And I was not. I could not get anything done. I could not get an answer even as to why my petition had not been approved. It wasn't denied, but it also was not approved. And it was sitting for almost six months with no action. Well, I actually finally got some action. I may have a happy ending for this after all. I'll tell you about that. Phil Ivey is a man of mystery to many. Everybody knows he's a great poker player. Everyone knows he has a degenerate side to him and likes to do crazy betting, whether it's on sports or in the pits. Uh, People know he got a divorce. People know that he was receiving almost a million dollars a month as a distribution from Full Tilt prior to Black Friday. And there's been a lot of speculation lately as to whether Phil Ivey is broke because Dan Bilzerian said it. Dan Bilzerian was saying that Phil Ivey's broke, which is crazy to think about because this is a guy who not only was winning big in poker, online, live tournaments, but also was getting a million bucks a month from Full Tilt. A month, not a year. For years upon years, he was getting... One million dollars. Every month. Not exactly a million, but like 900-something thousand. So how can someone like that be broke? Well, he might be. And Phil Ivey, he doesn't like to talk to the media that much. He's, he's not like Phil Hellmuth. He's not a grandstander. He's the opposite. He's actually very quiet, very reserved. Does not like to really be in the spotlight that much. But Seriously Serious, our own Seriously Serious, got an interview with him. You know, Seriously Serious is so good at getting interviews with the right people and asking the right questions. He, I like his interviews best of anyone I've ever seen in the poker media because he really asked the questions that we want the answers to. He doesn't just ask generic questions. He asks the generic questions and the biting, tough questions that are subject to a subject of speculation on the forums. So I'm going to play the three-minute interview with Ivy, and I'll comment on on myself and what what I feel about it. Let's go to... uh, Next topic. Well, we have another scammer that has... I should say an alleged scammer, but I I believe the guy is. An alleged scammer has won another poker tournament. Yeah, I I guess... I guess it's just... 
not I guess there's just not karma in the poker world You would think if you're a good person If you treat everyone kindly If you're generous If you're loving Trustworthy You would think that Somehow some force in the universe Would make sure that you ran well at the poker table But look Eric Lindgren And Chino Ream Finished first and second Actually in reverse order Second and first At a WPT event recently Now we have accused scammer Kevin Jana Winning the LAPC LA Poker Classic and Commerce High Roller event Talk about that Pretty much every week I've been doing an editorial That is rather than just talking about stories I pick a topic that I feel strongly about And I give you just my opinion You don't have to agree with me But I'm just giving my opinion This week's editorial Is going to get some people angry Every week I've gotten people angry with the editorial This week's editorial is I don't want poker stars in the legalized US market Which might surprise some of you Because The legalized U.S. market so far The software is not very good The customer service is not very good Poker stars could bring a lot to the table So why would I not want them in the legalized U.S. market? I will explain during my editorial Interesting news coming out about Mt. Gox This has not been verified So don't uh, Don't put too much stock in it yet But if true, it will be very interesting There is now some suspicion That Mt. Gox, which claimed they lost all the bitcoins they were holding Almost uh, 900,000 bitcoins, they claim, were stolen from them before they realized it That's worth over $500,000 Not $500,000, $500 million So they claimed $500 million of bitcoins were stolen under their noses People wondered, how could that be? How could that happen? How could Mt. Gox be that asleep at the switch to not notice that was happening? How could all but 2,000 of the Bitcoins have disappeared from there? Well, perhaps they were not asleep at the switch. There is now suspicion that they stole it all. I will explain where the suspicion is coming from and the evidence that someone claims to have uncovered. If you've been to the Caesars website, You'll see that they've been pushing very hard The Total Rewards credit card This is a credit card you can get uh, I think you get like a $100 bonus After you spend like $750 And then you get like 5 times reward credits If you For every dollar you spend at Caesars Properties I, I guess it's worth having If you go to Caesars Properties For anything you spend there Might as well get the 5% back But that's not what I'm doing here I'm not going to be promoting their credit card But I will tell you I applied for their credit card And I got denied Yes, I got denied for the Total Rewards credit card I will explain why And (laughs) I don't know Totally crazy Why I got denied Finally We're going to do an Ask Dan Druff section Segment once again Ask Andruff is the segment of the show where I take calls and I read the chat room and I take text messages. Any questions you want to ask of me, I will do my best to answer them honestly. I will not answer all questions. But I will answer 
any reasonable question or even an unreasonable question. The only question I typically will not answer is it a, a question involving personal information or personal details of my life that I don't want to reveal. If you ask, what is your home address, I'm not going to answer it. If, if you want me to talk about uh, close personal things between me and Benjamin's mom, I'm not going to tell you. But most other things I will answer, whether it's my opinion on things or just facts about myself or whatever. So that'll be at the end of the show before I shut it down. So let me get right into the lock poker story. And yes, the free roll's canceled. Whether the server's back up or not, it's just not enough time. So the server I'm talking about again is not the main poker fraud alert server. It's the server that's for the free roll which is a completely separate machine that's run by one of our users. So it crashed, and I think he's asleep. No fault of his, but uh, that's the way it is. So Lock Poker, they appear to be giving up, as I mentioned when I was going down the agenda. I can't really find any kind of ads that looks like Lock is paying for anymore. You have to understand, when you see some Lock ads on websites now, that doesn't mean Lock is paying them. Those are mostly affiliate ads. In fact, I think now they're entirely affiliate ads. Affiliate ads are where they only get paid a percentage of the rake generated from the people who sign up to Lock. So Lock is not paying them to put the ad up. They only make money. The advertiser only makes money or not, the, the website only makes money from Lock if they get sign-ups to Lock and these people actually play real money on there. So as far as paid ads go, which is what's really necessary if you want to get your poker site off the ground, Lock used to have them all over the place. They used to be all over Card Player, uh, all over so many different magazines and websites. They slowly disappeared. They were forcefully removed from places like 2 Plus 2 after the public objected, but I shall say that 2 plus 2, while they eventually did the right thing, they took way too long to do it and kept collecting the money while they were doing so. Card player held out for a very long time without taking the lock ads down. They finally did for unknown reasons, I think, because they weren't being paid anymore. And many other websites and publications such as Gambling 911 not only put lock ads up there, but actually wrote misleading articles promoting them as if they were a safe site to play on. As I've said many times before on this show, lock is a complete scam and has been for quite some time. At one point, they were a real poker site in that you would get the money that you won. You could cash out of there, but they were still doing a whole lot of shady things, which I've talked about on this show now for the last two years. But now it's gotten to the point where you will never get paid if you put money on lock poker. It's that simple. They are broke, they have either stolen all the money or blown it somehow, or both. I think it was both. The good thing is that lock poker is now a non-factor in the online poker community. I'm going to go to Poker Scout right now. Poker Scout is a site that tracks traffic on online poker rooms. And... Among U.S.-friendly online poker rooms, Lock Poker... Wow, it it doesn't even show anyone online right now. It's showing that Lock Poker's... It doesn't even show how many they have right now, but it's showing that uh, their seven-day average is 80 players. 
at one time on the whole site of cash players. So it's pretty much dead. They don't have any kind of marketing money anymore. Uh, the players, the poker community can finally declare victory over Lock Poker. Not that they ever got their money, not that they got anyone in trouble, but at least Lock Poker has become a non-factor where to where there's just not that many people depositing there anymore and feeding the scamming beast. The money that's already been lost and stolen, it'd be great to get that back, but that's kind of living in a dream world. But at least new money has slowed to a trickle. So what does Locke do? They know they're never going to get out of this one. They know their reputation is ruined. They knew that even if they want to start paying people now, even if they could start paying people now, that their reputation shot. No one will trust them again after the obscenely long waiting times and all the lies and all the deceptions that have come from Lock Poker. No one will ever trust them again. If they do start paying people, the vast majority of the user base will cash out and never play there again. Of course, there'll be a few suckers who still play there, but for the most part, their reputation has been destroyed, much like Mount Gox realized before they shut down that at a certain point, you've just destroyed your reputation too much to where you can never do business again and rise to your former prominence. Now, Lock Poker is broke, and Lock Poker needs activity and new deposits to be able to get out of the mess that they're in. So they have uh, apparently just kind of given up. But not quite. There is a new site out there. A new site called Superwins. Superwins.eu. That's a dumb name, Superwins. Sounds like a name someone would come up with either because they don't speak English well or because they don't understand poker or gambling. They think, oh, Superwins. That means I'm going to be a super winner. Wow. Like, you hear that name, you just think it's stupid. You don't want to play on a poker site called Super Wins. It's, it's just, it just sounds juvenile and, and and super contrived. Well, that by itself does not make them associated with Lock Poker. But if you go to SuperWins.eu, you'll see a big graphic. The big graphic is a black and white graphic. A man is standing in front in a suit. There's an old school car behind him, and he appears to be standing in front of some casino. It looks like a man in a suit in front of a nice old school car in front of an old school casino. It's kind of got like a Rat Pack look to it. Now let me think. What was the poker site that was obsessed with images of the Rat Pack for some reason? What was the site that was always promoting itself with unauthorized images of uh, Frank Sinatra and uh, Sammy Davis Jr. and others. What site was... Oh, yeah, it was Lock Poker. So here we have the only poker site in the world that's using Rat Pack-like imagery to promote itself in Lock Poker. And now we have Superwins.eu, again, using very similar imagery to promote itself. And you say, okay, maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe maybe it's just another person who's a fan of the Rat Pack or a fan of old-school gambling. Well, in addition to that, there's a button on there that says Play Now that resembles very much something that Lock Poker one time had. 
The general look and feel of the site reminds me a lot of lock poker, but in case that's not enough of you, in case you think I'm just imagining all this, or trying to find a scandal where it does not exist, both sites are registered through the same French registrar called Gandhi.net. Gandhi is not like GoDaddy. I mean, it's, it's not that big to where you're going to find a ton of sites. I, I don't think there's any other non-lock-related poker sites registered through Gandhi.net. But lock is registered to that, and so is superwins.eu. You may say, okay, well, I'm still not convinced. Well, how about this? How about the fact that supposedly they're on the same network? A 2 plus 2 poster chatted with a lock support agent named Quinn. First, I thought it was a super wins agent, but it's actually a lock agent. So this guy from 2 plus 2, who posts under the name Your Daddy, uh, he posted... He posts on uh, Poker Fraud Alert, by the way, as the CBB. Anyway, he talked with a lock support agent named Quinn. Quinn says, hello and welcome to our live chat service. How can I help you? So the CBB says... My email is whatever. Was wondering if Locke's new gambling site, superwins.eu, was going to help speed up my withdrawal. So he's just coming out with it right there. He's just pretending like he knows and wants to see the reaction he gets from Quinn. So then Quinn says, the site is not related to Locke, but is on the same global platform as us? What? I didn't know that Locke had any skins. I thought Locke was its own site. I thought Locke... uh, I thought Locke was... away from the Cake Network. Was operating on its own. I hadn't heard they had any skins. So Quinn is saying that this is a skin of Locke, which is already very suspicious. The super wins. Then Quinn says, We have implemented our own solutions to speed up processing times. I do see that your check is in the final stages of processing, and you should be receiving a confirmation email that this has been sent very soon. (laughs) Locke learned from some of the uh, great scammers of our time. The check is in the mail trick. Except this is not even that far. This is the check is being processed trick. I remember, I, I shouldn't say I fell for that trick, but back in the 90s when... You could put up ads on your website and you would get paid per click, which is a great deal. That model didn't work. That's why there was kind of like a dot-com crash in the early 2000s. But uh, you used to be able to put ads on your website, and every time someone clicked on the ad, provided it was a unique user, meaning you couldn't just have your mom click on it a hundred times, every unique user counted as one click. But um, you'd get paid up to 20 cents per click. Usually it was around 5 cents per click, which is still pretty good. I actually ran a little chat room back then that was making like 20k a year just from those little ads. But uh, I saw an offer for a casino, and this is before I was really involved much with gambling. I just gambled recreationally and didn't play poker at all. I saw that there was a casino offering 20 cents per click. So I put that ad up. In fact, I took my other ads down. I said, "I got this has got to be the ad that's up most of the time." Because this is making me four times what the other ads made. So very quickly, I racked up a lot of money with the 20 cents per click. 
And then it became time to get paid. And my withdrawal was processing. I was very happy to be receiving the large check that was going to be coming to me. And a week later, it was processing. Two weeks later, it was processing. A month later, it was processing. Three months later, it was processing. And, well, today, uh, like 17 years later, it's still processing. So, I never got my 20 cents per click. It's sad, but... uh, I never got it. I thought I would get it. But my 20 cents per click was stuck in processing mode. And I'm sure it was an honest mistake. And when I was first victimized by that processing trick, that processing scam, I put my head down and I silently cried. But anyway, Locke has learned well from that company. <laughs> They're just endlessly processing their checks. But going on with this whole story here. Uh, so this person says, it's Quinn, how about giving me something free to ease my pain? And Quinn says, I'm afraid that I'm unable to add to your account at this time. I can't add a bonus to your account at this time, but I will ask my cashier manager to credit you with a $109 ticket to a tournament. <laughs> I mean, why even say that? Why not just give the guy like uh, $10,000 credit? You're never going to pay him. It doesn't matter. Like, why be so cheap? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, they can give out the $109 tournament ticket because they know that uh, they're never going to cash the money out. But why not give more? Why not just get like super generous and like make people think there's like an off small chance they'll get paid one day? <laughs> But it looks very much like it's locked. Same network, same imagery on the front page, uh, same registrar. I mean, you could say maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone that knows CEO Jennifer Larson that's trying their hand with their own skin. But is that really much different? Does it really matter if it's Jennifer Larson herself or her brother or her best friend? I mean, it's someone associated, almost certainly, with lock poker. So stay away from super wins or anything that's on the quote global gaming network, which what they claim to be part of. Now how did I find out about the global gaming network? Well this is kind of strange. We have a user on Poker Fraud Alert named Steve Ruddock, also known as Stevo. Stevo, I- I've never heard of him being involved in any scams. Um, for the most part he seems like a pretty honest guy. There's a site called PokerNewsBoy.com and right now they're the only affiliate I've seen of Super Wins. Poker Newsboy, I think Steve-O said he doesn't own it, but if you go to Poker Newsboy's homepage, you'll see that most of the articles were written by Steve Ruddick. So I have a hard time believing that he's just a writer for the site and doesn't own any piece of this. It's possible he's not the primary owner, but I, I gotta think he has a piece of this, and Steve-O can correct me if I'm wrong. But not only is there still Lock Poker on there as the featured room, which is highly dishonest, and I'm, I'm surprised Steve-O even writes for them. I'm surprised Steve-O doesn't say, look, I'm not going to have my name all over this site that's still featuring Lock Poker as their featured room. And by the way, Lock Poker has a $4,000 bonus if you want to deposit <laughs> to them through Poker Newsboy. Sounds like a great deal. Uh, but don't worry, Super Wins is even better. 
through Poker Newsboy. If you go to pokernewsboy.com slash superwins, it says this. Superwins is a very new poker and casino site with big ambitions. Yeah, I bet, it has, I bet they have big ambitions to steal big money to try to revive lock poker. They have joined one of the newest platforms with very solid software. With excellent software, industry-beating bonuses, large rakeback percentage, and a player base softer than any poker site I've seen, it won't be long till they have a player base large enough to run a large MTT and sit-and-ghost schedule. Well, that's exciting. Deposit onto this site, and one day they might have enough players uh, to actually run a tournament or a sit-and-go. <laughs> that's very enticing. Super Wins accepts players from the U.S. from all states. See? They don't discriminate. They'll take anyone from anywhere. Your money that they can steal is good no matter where you are on the globe. They don't discriminate. This is one of the main markets for Super Wins along with most of Europe. This means Super Wins has fairly solid traffic numbers at peak times that can support plenty of low to mid-stakes games. Sign-up bonus, this is very generous, 200% up to $5,000. So you sign up to Superwins through Poker Newsboy. You deposit 2500 bucks, a measly 2500 with a bonus code SUPERWIN, and they give you $5,000 bonus. Not sure what you have to do to clear that bonus, but you can turn 2500 into 7500 by just simply clearing the bonus and breaking even. I mean, isn't that a wonderful deal? By the way, it's rated 9 out of 10 on the site. (laughs) They gave it a rating on Poker Newsboy of 9 out of 10. Based on what? I mean, even if you want to say they're not lock poker, they claim that they're licensed from Stacktrace NV, whatever that is. But even if you want to say they're a separate site from lock if they barely have any traffic, why is it 9 out of 10? Why are you giving it 9 out of 10? If they're 9 out of 10, what would make you like 8 out of 10 or 7 out of 10? What would make you 2 out of 10? So I'm going to go to Lock Poker and see what they're rated. Let's click on this one. Lock Poker. <laughs> this is the first I've seen this. I mean, seriously, Steve Roddick, Steve, oh, you've got to stop writing for Poker Newsboy. Now that I've seen this, uh, I mean, this is just offensive. It's, it's actually offensive. Lock Poker is an online poker room that finds its home within their own revolution network, that's, that, that's not even current, and has begun to cause a stir within the industry, that's true, after really upping their fight to attract new players to their site. Be sure to grab the exclusive PokerNewsBoy.com $4,000 Lock Poker bonus. Again, a 200% bonus. And their rating, is it 9 out of 10? No. 10 out of 10. (laughs) Jeez. Jeez. 10 out of 10. (laughs) So PokerNewsBoy.com rates Lock 10 out of 10 and uh, Super Wins 9 out of 10. Very honest, unbiased ratings, I'm sure. Let me say something. If you are promoting a poker site that you know or think is highly likely to be a scam, then you are an accomplice to the scam. 
You can't just shrug your shoulders and say, I'm just an advertiser. Or I'm just a platform in which they advertise. You can't just say, I'm just an affiliate. You can only say that if you did not know. If you're surprised. Like, I don't blame the Full Tilt affiliates for what happened, because they had no clue. As far as they were concerned, Full Tilt seemed like a good, reputable site, and they were not. So you can't blame the affiliates. They had no visibility into the situation. But everyone knows about Locke at this point. Steve Ruddock knows extremely well. Poker Newsboy, whoever owns that thing, whether it's Steve or not, knows very well. To be giving Locke 10 out of 10 at this point is dishonest. It's cheating the people who read your site. It's walking them right into um, the belly of the whale. It's walking them off a cliff. Seriously. Why would you ever direct readers of your website to lock poker unless you hate them and enjoy stealing from them? Unless you think that uh, it's ethical for you to get a piece of the money that is stolen from them. It'd be like if you came up to me and said, uh, Hey, Druff, um, there's a guy over there. He's, uh, he's selling me snake oil. He wants to sell me snake oil. He, he claims the snake oil will make me live to uh, 200 years old. But he wants 10000 bucks for it. Should I buy it? And I say, Oh, yeah. You know what? I have a great, 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 great grandfather who's 200 years old now because he's been drinking that snake oil. And then you run over and buy it for him from from him for ten thousand bucks. And then after you leave, the guy walks over and hands me a thousand dollars for endorsing him falsely. I would be guilty as an accomplice to this scam. That's what sites like Poker Newsboy are to lock poker by rating them ten out of ten and making them in the featured room when they're very aware of what's going on there. By the way, Steve O's not banned here, and I'd love to hear his response. Now, I think his response probably will be, I don't run Poker Newsboy, I'm a paid writer there. But at some point, you've got to say, look, I'm not going to have my name plastered all over the site, and I'm not going to be a main contributor to a site where its featured room is locked poker rated 10 out of 10. So, I called out Card Player for promoting lock. I'm going to call out Poker Newsboy now, too. And now they're promoting the, what's probably the second version of lock. The super wins crap. This is interesting. Someone posted in the chat room, Poker Newsboy is registered to Jerry Politrack. There's some incriminating stuff about him already on Poker Fraud Alert here. I didn't know that. I'll have to look that up. Interesting. I guess another thing uh, related to Lock Poker. I double-click on this link and read my own site. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I see. Uh, Jerry Politrack also owns uh, PokerForums.org, which I know Steve-O likes to push as well. Th- those two definitely have some association with one another. But Jerry Politrack uh, apparently posts as a G9Ult. And... Um, I guess this uh, Jerry Politrack has accused people, anyone who's spoken out against Locke, of having some kind of anti-Locke agenda, and has admitted he's an affiliate for Locke, and that Locke's recovery from his present state would be financially beneficial to him. But uh, uh, apparently he, uh, according to Haley Hintz, who made a post on Poker Fraud Alert I just got linked to, 
this Jerry Politrack who probably owns uh, Poker Newsboy. In fact, that's what he claims on his LinkedIn. He claims that uh, right, he's apparently an affiliate manager at Lock Poker, according to his own LinkedIn. I totally forgot about this. So I don't know, Steve-O, you don't seem like a bad guy, but uh, you're, you're certainly hooked up with someone who seems to be very very much pushing the lock brand, even after all that's happened. And it's pretty serious stuff. I mean, you, you just don't push people over to a scam poker site. It's just dishonest. It's like stealing. You don't tell your website visitors, go deposit here, knowing their money's going to get stolen. It's really bad. I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it and sleep with myself at night. I, like, I, I, I could not look at myself in the mirror after I'm directing people to a site where I know their money's going to get stolen. I'd feel bad enough if I did it and it turned out that their money was being stolen and I did not realize it when I told them to go there. But once you realize it, you got to stop. Anyway, stay away from super wins and probably stay away from Jerry Pulitrack too. Jeez. People laughing at me in the chat room for not keeping up with my own site. I actually read all this stuff before, but I just uh, I just forgot it all. There's been so much so much stuff about Locke. It's like information overload. Like even I forget these things. But uh, props to Forum Wars for remembering this and linking me to my own site <laughs> to read from. At least it came from my own site. The the source here. All right. So moving on to our next topic on the agenda. I think I have a happy ending. And not the kind of happy ending I would get on Spring Mountain Road in Las Vegas in the Asian district. But a happy ending for my full tilt situation. It's not quite over yet, but it's getting there. By the way, I saw it. I have an offer via text to co-host tonight. But it's someone who has never co-hosted before. And I, I want them to test their setup before they do it on here because it's just too much trouble. So... To the person who offered, we'll uh, consider you for next week after you test some things. Uh, also got another text from someone saying, Do you like the name Cherry Popper for my boat? <laughs> it's kind of a funny name for a boat, but uh, if you're going to take a girl on your boat and try to impress her, I think you're going to scare them off with a name like that on the boat. You're not going to come off as a, a nice, safe guy that they can get on a boat and go out to sea with. Your name's Cherry Popper. Unless they think you're part of the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Maybe that's okay. Alright, so what happened with me and Garden City Group, the company that has been tasked by the Department of Justice to return our full tilt money to U.S. players? Well, everyone was getting paid except me. I shouldn't say everyone, but uh, a good number of people who's ready-made petitions were submitted back in September, October, and November. They got their money, like about two weeks ago. So I asked, what about me? I never got one of those postcards or an email telling me my petition number. I had to create a new petition. My balance showed zero. I could not obtain my history on full tilt in any way. I tried everything they told me to do. It did not work. I submitted my new petition with the 
evidence they wanted to show what money I was owed. And nothing. They didn't deny it, but they did not approve it. So we get all the way till, till late February, and people are getting their money now. I had submitted my petition on September 26th, and we had five months of inaction. So I called up, and I played that call on this show two weeks ago, where I was basically told, yeah, this is kind of weird. We see you submitted the petition, but there's been no action on it. So they promised me that upper management would call me. I didn't think that was going to happen. Well, lo and behold, the next day, someone from upper management called me. But I was not here to get the call. And when I attempted to call him back, he did not return my call. I was banging my head against the wall once again, thinking I blew my one chance to maybe find out what was going on. I left him a few more messages, didn't get a call. Well, shockingly, shockingly, I got a phone call on Saturday. Saturday. This is, Garden City Group only works Monday through Friday. Well, this guy called me on Saturday and explained everything to me what happened. He said that somehow, he doesn't know why, but somehow I never received the ready-made petition. He said one was sent to me, but for whatever reason, I never received it. Now, there were others in my boat. I just think that they had a hard time sending it out. Uh, My email, I know, is is very reliable. It was not my email. It did not end up in my spam folder. I checked that. But I just never got it. And when I called into Garden City Group, they also had no record of it at the time. I don't know what happened. But there had been a petition all ready to go in my name all this time, like all the people who already got paid. So... We abandoned the new petition. We resubmitted the... Or I approved the ready-made petition. And he said that my refund should be processed sometime in April. And I should be receiving it sometime in late April or early May. He said he can't promise that, but uh, that's when they're scheduled to send out the next batch of refunds to the DOJ for approval. And since I have one of those ready-to-go, ready-made petitions that I should be getting it. It should be no problem. It should be instantly approved because this is the number they came up with. So the questions remained. Number one, do they have the money to pay me in full? Because they already paid out a lot of people. They paid out like $76 million in the first round. Is it possible the second round will exceed the fund that they had established? Will I only be paid a percentage, which is what will happen if they run out of money? Is that possible? And also, what was with me logging into Full Tilt and seeing zero on my balance? So here are the answers I got. Number one, he said he can't make a promise, but that from everything he has seen and learned, it is just about impossible for them to run run out of money in the second round. So if you make it into the second round for the Full Tilt refunds that are sent to the DOG for approval in April then you will almost surely get 100% of your money back. It's not going to be a prorated sort of thing. It's not going to be one of those things where they have to pay you 80 cents on the dollar. Third round, maybe maybe it will have run out. But he said second round, it's not going to run out from everything he's seen. He says it's almost, almost impossible for that to happen. Regarding the zero balance on my full tilt account, he said that was correct because if you're a U.S. player, it's supposed to show zero on the software because you cannot play as a U.S. player. I didn't know that. I thought you just weren't allowed to play, but I thought it would show your proper balance. 
Uh, he did not know why I could not request the histories. He said that must have been some technical glitch. But uh, it looks like it's on its way. I now believe that I will be part of this second batch. And I believe I probably will be paid in April or May. So great. Uh, if anybody needs the name and phone number of this guy, I'm not going to give it out on this show. I know it's been passed around some on the internet, but I don't want to inundate this guy with calls because you might wonder, why did I get the call on Saturday? Well, believe it or not, this guy is such a dedicated employee that he actually came in on Saturday to return calls from forum people. That's right. He actually read 2 plus 2. He noticed a lot of forum people were interested in this. He, I, I guess someone even posted his number up there somewhere. And uh, he got a lot of calls from 2 plus 2 people and others who had gotten the phone number. And he actually came in on Saturday to call all these people back, including me, to try to help them get their refunds. This is a dedicated employee. This guy deserves a raise. This is the first person I have encountered at Garden City Group who had any anything resembling a clue. This guy was very on the ball. This guy explained everything clearly. He He really seemed to understand the process. I was impressed. There are not many employees that are like him, but I was impressed. So, I have to say, good job. Unfortunately, there were probably not many like him at Garden City Group, but this guy was very dedicated to the project and to his work. And with people like him there, if we had more like him, we would have had a much smoother process. But I'm glad he's there. But if anyone wants his information, you're having trouble with your full-tilt refund still, uh, PM me or email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com and I will give you the information to call the guy. It's not a total secret. I just don't want to give it out to uh, the whole radio show here. Someone in the chat room saying to prank call him. I'm not going to prank call him. <laughs> Someone in the chat room saying DOG? What is the DOG? Did I say GOG instead of DOJ? Maybe maybe I said that because maybe maybe because they were treating me like a dog all this time. Anyway, let me know if you need that guy's info. He he solved my problem. He might solve yours. I'll say he seemed very interested in solving all the problems. He didn't just give excuses, and he seemed to know what was going on. All right, now I'm going to play a clip of Phil Ivey talking to our very own Seriously Serious. Seriously Serious listens to the show every week. He posts on the forum pretty much every day. He works at Bluff. He's a very talented poker media person. He makes a lot of funny poker-related songs and videos. He was finally recognized for his work at Bluff and got a job there. Now lives in Atlanta. Still posts on this site. And as I said earlier in the show, he not only gets the interviews with the relevant people of the day in poker, but he asks them all the questions we want to know the answer to. So I love the Seriously Serious interviews. They're never boring. And they always ask the questions that I hope he's going to ask. So he did one with Phil Ivey, which you know will be good, because a lot of people have questions about Ivey and... uh, especially if he's broke, and with what uh, Dan Blazerian has been saying about him. So, uh, let me get to this here. Um, well, I started when I was eight years old. My grandfather taught me how to play. 
By the way, that's Phil Ivey talking. He's explaining his origins in poker. He's saying he started when he was eight years old. His grandfather taught him. So it's kind of starting from there and then going on to various subjects. This game I played with five cards stud. We played with the guitar paintings. And uh, he taught me how to play. That was the first time I ever played. And then I played a game when I was like 14 or 15. And that was when I uh, started taking the game a lot more seriously. And then I moved down to Atlantic City when I was 20 or so and started playing. I uh, had a fake ID. I don't recommend that, but that's, you know, the path that I chose. And uh, I ended up playing at a, a you know, uh, at an early age, and that's how I you know, got to be as good as I am. What about So th- this is actually uh, the truth. This is Phil Ivey's backstory. He showed up in Atlantic City underage, claiming his name was Jerome, and had a fake ID. And then when he turned 21, he reintroduced himself as Phil Ivey and said, I've been lying about my age all this time so I could play, but my name's really Phil Ivey, and now I can be honest about it because I'm really 21. Uh, back then, they were playing things like 75-150, kind of like uh, you know mid-to-high-stakes Hold'em. And uh, this is where he got to know a lot of the people who he joined with Full Tilt. Full Tilt, they invested in the site together back in the uh, early part of the 2000s, like uh, 2003, 2004, and uh, Phil Ivey put up some money. You know, whoever put up more money got more of a piece. But he was describing his origins, and uh, then we'll hear about the rest of the topics. The stuff about you uh, sleeping under a bridge or on a park. Well, bed. I didn't sleep under a bridge, but I slept under a boardwalk maybe twice. Okay. Because what happened is you take the. I would live in North Jersey, so you take the bus down, and if you miss the last bus going coming back. And you didn't have any money. I mean, what can you do? So I, you know, I end up sleeping on the world a couple of times. Uh, I don't play as much craps as I used to. Um, I still play some, a little bit here and there, but not as much as I used to. Yeah. So now he jumped to a different topic. See, uh, what seriously serious does in these interviews is he mainly cuts himself out of the interviews, and you just hear the subject talking. This is the one thing I wish Seriously Serious would change. I actually want to hear Seriously Serious because you get to hear the question. And sometimes the question's obvious, but it's a little strange sometimes. You're watching Phil Ivey talking about his early days and having to sleep under the boardwalk when he couldn't afford a bus ride back. And then it jumps to him playing craps, which is more of a, a current thing that he's known for, where he was said to have lost millions of dollars in single sessions playing craps at places like the Bellagio. So he's saying he doesn't play much anymore, and he plays you know, some, but not as much as he used to, which I believe because he doesn't have the money that he used to have. But uh, he, this is where I would like to hear the question, especially if you're not someone as knowledgeable about uh, Phil Ivey's past. Uh, it, the question would help put it into perspective. That's just just my suggestion. But Otherwise, I love these interviews. So he's saying he doesn't play as much crap. That that just adds evidence to the pile that he's broke or, or close to it. Because he really loved his craps. Well, you know, I like to um, take some chances sometimes. So I think it's if it's within your bankroll and you can uh, you have you have you have it, you're able to spare it. It's okay as long as it doesn't affect your livelihood. Then you can do it as long as you have control over you know your losses. See, now I don't believe that. I don't believe he ever had control over his losses. Uh, there's various stories about Phil Ivey, including betting 
two million bucks on a single Lakers game. This is a game against the Celtics in the finals that the Lakers lost against them. Uh, I actually knew somebody who was doing the chip counts. Phil Ivey was playing a $1,500 limit event on the day of that NBA Finals that he was betting $2 million on. And he had his eyes glued to the TV. He bribed, either bribed or pushed one of the floor men into changing the tournament clock into the NBA Finals. He had his eyes glued to that, and when the chip counter from Poker News came up to count his chips, Ivy just went off on him saying, can you back off, man? Can you back the fuck off? You're all over me. Like, like he was really in a bad mood knowing that he was about to lose $2 million when all this poker news guy wanted to do was count his chips. <laughs> so, uh, I also heard stories of Phil Ivy losing as much as $6.7 million in one session of blackjack. I heard of the Bellagio. This is someone whose gambling never was under control. It just got bigger and bigger as he got more and more money from Full Tilt. He was getting that million dollars coming in every month, and some people were saying that that was going right back out to his gambling habit. Um, you're probably going to get in first ballot as soon as you turn 40. That's the Chip Reese rule. You're supposed to be 40 years old before you can get in. I heard that you had something to do with uh, the formation of that rule. Can you tell us anything about that? So, Seriously Serious actually put in his own voice here asking Ivy about the Poker Hall of Fame, that you have to be 40 to get in the Poker Hall of Fame, a minimum of 40, and that Ivy, who's about to turn 40, people are thinking that he'll get immediately elected there, which I agree. I think he deserves it, and I think he will. But uh, he was asking if Ivy himself had to do with actually adding that rule, even though it was delaying his own entry. Has something to do with the formation of that rule? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I know that I wouldn't like to... Uh, I don't want to be the youngest. Uh, Chip holds that record. I like him to keep that record. So um, you know, he was a good friend of mine um, and one of the best players I've ever played with. So um, I'm happy to wait. Do you spend much time playing with Dandel Zarin? Do you know this guy well? Do I know him well? <laughs> no, I don't. Actually, I really, I don't even think I played a hand of poker with him, okay. to tell you the truth. So, I really don't know him well at all. Because he's going around saying that, like, you've gone broke or something. Huh? People can say what they want to say. You know, I don't really mind. I don't really feed into that. I really don't know the guy, so his opinion is his opinion. Yeah. I mean, I don't, he doesn't really know my financial status. So, it's okay. It doesn't really bother me too much. I mean... His opinion, his opinion. It's all right. Yeah, I mean, some of these rumors that go around about you are pretty ridiculous. They don't, uh, they don't make you angry when you hear some of this stuff. You know what? The only way I hear it is if somebody brings it up to me or somebody sends it to me. I don't really check the forums and all of those things. So, like, <laughs> he doesn't check the forums. I guess he doesn't read Poker Fraud Alert. I guess I can say what I want about him, and he won't see it unless people alert him to it. What I noticed in his response about Blazarian. Think about this. Think if you are a famous poker player. Think if there have been rumors about you being broke. Think if you are confirmed to be broke, how it will make you look pretty bad, given that you're supposed to be the successful, high-flying, best-in-the-world type poker player. To admit that you're broke is embarrassing. So let's say someone influential in the poker world, like Dan Blazarian, says you're broke. 
And then you're on an interview, and you're asked about Dan Blazerian. Do you know him? You say no. They say, well, Dan Blazerian saying that you're broke. What do you say back? Do you say back, well, he can say what he wants. I don't care. He doesn't know my finances. Or do you just say back, no, I'm not broke. And if Dan Blazerian would like to put some money on it, I'd be happy to prove it. Or something like that. He didn't say at any point here, no, I'm not broke. He just said, Dan Blazerian doesn't know my finances. Dan Blazerian, he can say what he wants. I don't care. When people give that type of response, it usually means that the allegation is true. Man, you don't know me. You don't understand. You don't know the whole story, man. I'm not going to tell you, but you don't know the whole story. It's not like you think. You can think what you want. It's not what you think. He didn't go that far. He just said, you can think what you want, and he just doesn't know my finances. Well, I mean, I guess Dan Blazerian doesn't know his exact finances. That's true, and he can't think what he wants, but we didn't get a denial there. You know, I really don't really know what's going on unless somebody brings it up to me. Okay, so... So that was the three-minute interview with Ivy by Seriously Serious. And Seriously Serious uh, adding in the chat room, to be fair, this interview took place the day after he won $4 million in the Aussie Super High Roller. But um, I don't know. He has had such a gambling problem from everything I've heard, especially with craps, that it would not surprise me if even with that $4 million score, he still broke or close to it. When you have a bad gambling problem, you can go through any sum of money. I mean, think of that guy uh, who, who owned the Oriental Training Company that uh, shot off over $100 million to Caesars. In fact, shot off an additional $60 million on credit that there was some controversy about. So you, you can shoot off huge money gambling if you're not careful. So the fact that he didn't deny he was broke, that, just, that makes me think more that he is broke. I said, way before Black Friday, people asked me about like how much do you think Ivy's worth? And I said, I don't know what he's worth, but I'll tell you this. If this million a month from Full Tilt stops coming in, he's going to be in big, pro- in big trouble because he has gotten used to a lifestyle that is based upon a $12 million plus per year income. And when that goes away, he's not the type who can apply the brakes and rewind his lifestyle to the way it used to be. Ivy wants to live large, and once he's living large, he doesn't want to go back to living medium or small. So I said he's going to go broke if this money stops coming in. And I think that's probably what happened. Now, fortunately for him, he's not only such a big name in poker, he's a legitimately excellent player to where he will always have a line out the door to back him. So he will always be in action. He can find anyone to back him for anything. And that will never be a problem. So he'll always have that way to make more money. But I have a feeling whatever he makes, he's going to blow. And he'll never have a deal like he had with Full Tilt. Because he'll never be part of ownership again. 
He might be the face of some site in the future, but they're not going to pay him a million a month. They're just not. Now, it is true that he has that uh, $12 million win from uh, Crockford's in the UK that is being blocked right now. And there's a lawsuit surrounding that. I'm sure that would help him a lot. But uh, right now, he can't access that money. But I think even if he gets that money from Crockford's, I think that he'll probably blow that too. Now, I had somebody PM me recently asking me two opinions of mine about Ivy. First of all, do I feel that Ivy has gotten off too easy for his role in the Full Tilt fiasco? Why is nobody hating on him like they are Howard Lederer and Chris Ferguson? And second, do I think that Ivy is a cheater for what he did at Crockford's? So, here's my answer to both. First of all, I think that Ivy really had no clue as to what Full Tilt was doing. I don't think he knew they were taking player money. I don't think he knew that uh, they didn't have all the money for the players like they claimed they did. He was not on the board there. He did not want to know what was going on. That just isn't part of Ivy's makeup. Ivy wants to gamble. Ivy wants to party. Ivy wants to live in his little bubble. He lives in a bubble. He lives in a bubble where if it's not directly about Phil Ivy, he does not care. So, he doesn't want to get involved in things like managing a poker site or being on the board of a poker site, even if he owns a large percentage of it. So he let them do it, and they probably misled him. They probably never told him the truth. They never told him where his million dollars a month was coming from. They never told him about the problems of the company. I believe all that. However, he may not have known he was stealing he was receiving stolen money, but he was still receiving stolen money. And I don't know why the DOJ let him off that easily unless he really was so broke that he could not afford to pay them anything. I thought what would have been fair with the DOJ collecting the money back that was paid in these distributions to people who who should not have gotten it, even if they didn't realize that uh that it was stolen. You know, if if you buy a stolen car, for example, they take it back from you. You don't get to keep the car just because when you bought it, you didn't know it was stolen. They'll take it back. So, same thing should be with this money. The DOJ should have confiscated money from whoever gained from these full-tilt distributions, not, not criminally charged them, not gotten them in any trouble, but just taking back the money that they got that they shouldn't have gotten. Take back the money that was distributed to them to pay back the players. Should have been done. In fact, something that bothers me about our frozen full tilt money is we didn't get paid interest. I mean, interest rates are not that high, but it's still three years worth of interest we should have gotten. We got nothing. And it pisses me off that we had to wait all this time. We would have gotten nothing if PokerStars had not bought them. And in the meantime, people like Phil Ivey made all this money and got to keep it. I know some of the more major players had to give up uh, the ones who were actually on the board had to give up something, but still not enough. These people should be broke now. They should have had everything taken from them for what happened. They should have had all of their assets liquidated until this could have been paid off rather than having poker stars come in and save the day. 
Or maybe have PokerStars come in and save the day after they've liquidated the assets of everyone who was on the board and then took back whatever people got in distributions who were not on the board. That would have been fair. Just because you did not know you were receiving stolen money as distributions does not mean you should be able to keep it. It was still stolen money. So, I do think that Ivy should have had his money that he got paid from this confiscated, which would have left him with zero after all the money he got over the years and probably blew most of it. But that that's what would have been fair to have done. But at the same time, I don't think Ivy is a thief, and I don't think that Ivy knew what was happening, and I don't think it was his job to know. You can say he should have known, but he wasn't a majority owner or anything. He was one of the larger owners, but he was not anywhere near a majority owner. And uh, he designated others to do the job. He didn't want to do the job. It would have been responsible of him to check into this every so often, but that's not him. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying I don't see him as a criminal, the same way I see Howard Lederer or Chris Ferguson or Ray Batar or Ray First, who were on the board and who were actively stealing from people and knowing what they were doing. Big difference. Hockey guy saying in chat, Helmuth is in the same boat. I agree. Helmuth is another one who lives in his own personal bubble. Doesn't care about what's going on around them unless it directly affects them. So, Helmuth just tried as hard as he could to close his eyes to everything. But again, he benefited a lot. So did Andy Duke. So did others. They should have had to cough up the money for that. They should not have been able to keep what they made from these sites that cheated people. These distributions should have only been possible, and they only should have been kept if the money was not stolen from the players to pay them. So very unfair. Very, very unfair. Flipper Fair saying in the chat, let them eat house cake. <laughs> Referring to the 50th birthday party with like 12 cakes that Howard Litterer had recently. <laughs> That was Howard's attitude and let them eat house cake. Blue Odom saying Seabock as well. Well, what are they going to get from Seabock? Some grapes? I mean, I don't think he has much to take at this point. <laughs> so, uh, moving to our next topic. Oh, well, actually, before we go to the next topic, about his Crockford thing, I'm actually on Ivy's side on that one. Uh, people say he was cheating but I don't agree cheating at casino involves either getting casino staff to be in cahoots with you to give you an unfair advantage or to use some kind of device to give yourself an advantage such as mirrors to see cards being dealt or electronic devices that assist you in some way that's cheating Uh, Marking cards, that's cheating. Uh, Manipulating machines in a certain way to make them pay you when they shouldn't, that's cheating. What's not cheating is using your mind to discover an edge that the casino does not realize exists. The casino always has an edge on you because they make the rules for the games and they are very careful typically to create a game that mathematically the odds are against you winning, not just in the long term, but even in the short long term, to where you're not going to be able to play that long without losing your money to the house. 
The casino gets this advantage. They get to have this advantage. They get to make the rules that favor them because they're the ones offering the games. They're the ones providing the security and the house to play in. So for that reason, you have to play in the disadvantage. And that's the way it goes. However, at the same time, they are responsible to take care of themselves. They are responsible to make sure that they are creating a game that actually gives them the edge. If they accidentally create a game that gives the player the edge, or if they create a game that has a vulnerability to where the player can give himself an edge, the player is not cheating. The player is just using his mind and his skill to beat the casino in a way the casino did not realize before. In this case, there were defective playing cards. Ivy, had he snuck in the defective playing cards and replaced the good playing cards with the defective ones, that would be cheating. But he did not bring in the cards. He didn't pay anyone to bring in the defective cards. The casino brought in the defective cards on their own, did not realize it, and he did. So he decided to take advantage of this just by using his powers of observation to become a winning player in the game because he was able to know what cards were going to be dealt from the backs of the cards. Now, the only thing he did that is questionable was bring an accomplice into it, not a casino employee, but just a friend of his, an Asian woman, who played with him, who pretended to be a superstitious Asian woman, who demanded they turn the cards a different way because she was superstitious, when in reality they needed to turn the cards this way to make it easier for Ivy to notice the flaws and uh, for him to be able to get the edge he was looking for. I guess the cards had to be turned a certain way to make that more apparent. However, the casino agreed to do it. They may have been tricked as far as the reason they wanted to have it done, but it doesn't matter. They agreed. The casino knew at the time that they were using their own cards. None of their employees were in cahoots with Ivy. And they agreed to this rule change. It was their fault. They didn't have to agree. They agreed to the rule change. They agreed to deal the cards that way. They used their own cards. They used their own people. It's not Ivy's fault that he found a flaw in their game and then asked them to change an aspect of the game to give himself an edge. Totally within the rules. All is fair in casino games when it comes to giving yourself an edge as long as you're not cheating, as long as you're playing by the rules that exist in the house. And he was. He played by all the rules. He did everything they asked, and the one thing he wanted to deviate from the norm, that is, turn the cards a different way, they asked, the casino said, yes, okay. Casino's fault, they have to pay him. That's what I would rule if I were the judge. And I'm not being an Ivy fanboy or anything here. I'm just, I just feel very strongly that uh, casinos should not be able to get out of these things. Get out of these losses because of something, a mistake they made that gives the player an edge. Just like, there's a guy who's suing a casino in Vegas. It's a story that's going around a lot recently. He's suing a casino in Vegas downtown for beating him out of $500,000 because he was drunk. He said he was too drunk to know what he was doing, and during Super Bowl weekend, he lost 500k gambling there. I'd rule against this guy, because this guy, uh, he controlled what he drank. No one forced his mouth open and, and poured the alcohol down his throat. It was up to him to control his liquor. It was up to him to be responsible with his own money. Um, the only way the casino should be responsible is if they were trying to encourage him to drink in some way in order to get him so drunk that he uh, doesn't know what he's doing. But as far as I'm concerned, if you elect to drink, 
get yourself too drunk to make good decisions and blow your money, tough luck on you. Can't expect the casino to monitor how drunk you are and and not deal to you if you're drunk. I know technically you're supposed to they're supposed to do it, but that's just a, a dumb thing to expect of them. Every person should be responsible for themselves. Every casino should be responsible for themselves as far as making sure their games are not beatable. And if either you screw up and, and bet under stupid circumstances when you're drunk and can't concentrate and blow all your money, or uh, if the casino is stupid and offers a game that can be beat because the playing cards are defective or you turn the cards away that gives the player an edge, tough luck on you. An expensive lesson. But it's one fair and square. Anyway. That's my opinion on Ivy. I I don't hate him, but uh, at the same time, I think he, one, is very irresponsible, and two, got to keep a lot more money than he should have. Though he probably ended up not keeping it, just it went to a different source. It went to the casinos instead of uh, the full tilt players. By the way, uh, I heard a rumor that his wife got a big divorce settlement from Full Tilt itself. Someone told me $10 million from Full Tilt itself paid his wife to not make any kind of further claim. Then I know she took him back to court anyway, but uh, I don't know what Ivy was doing when he would go to these strip clubs and other places when he would be without his wife, but it's hard to imagine he was faithful. I don't have any evidence he wasn't. I'm not going to say he wasn't, but it's hard to imagine that a guy going to strip clubs by himself all the time with all this money and then ends up with a divorce. It's hard to imagine that uh, he stayed faithful, especially to his high school girlfriend. It's already tough enough when you get married to the girl you were with since high school because you, as a guy, you you just sit there and think about, wow, I never got any variety. I, I never got to try other women. I I never got to feel what it was like to be with anyone else. And, you know, a lot of guys feel that way no matter when they get married. But to be with one girl from start to finish, it's tough to do. Especially in this day and age. Especially if you're a degenerate gambler who's famous. Very tough. I, I guess his wife made out okay, though. She got out at the right time. Someone said Ivy's wife is a gold digger. She really wasn't. She was with him since high school. He was broke then. She she just kind of lucked into being with a guy who ended up being a really good poker player and making a lot of money. A gold digger is someone who comes around after someone has money and only is with them for that reason. Can't say she was a gold digger. And I have to say, I know nothing about their relationship, but I have to say that uh, I find a very high likelihood that the divorce is probably his fault. Very high likelihood. Anyway, let's move on to our next subject of the evening. Accused scammer Kevin Jana, I think that's how you pronounce his name, won the L.A. Poker Classic High Roller event. This seems to keep happening these days where these uh, scammers or accused scammers in the world of poker 
manage to hit these big tournaments anyway. I guess no karma in the poker world. This story showed up on 2 Plus 2, and when it was first brought out, uh, people believed the initial post anyway, but uh, Kevin Jana made the mistake of coming and answering to the charges. And you might be surprised I say that when I say he made the mistake. How could it ever be a mistake to answer to an accusation against you? Wasn't I the one who said that if you're innocent, you always should answer? That by not answering, you look very guilty. So how can it be a mistake to answer? Well, it's a mistake to answer when you are guilty of sin, and when your explanation is so poor, it just strengthens the accuser's argument. (laughs) So... It looks pretty clear, unless this is a fake Kevin Jana on 2 Plus 2, which I doubt. I'm pretty sure that's really him. Uh, He's pretty much verified the accusations with really, really weird excuses that uh, didn't cut it with anyone reading that thread. So here is the original accusation. It's posted by a guy named Kyle. Uh, It's uh, His screen name on 2 Plus 2 is Kaj, K-A-J underscore Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Um... Oh, I guess it's resolved in some way. Didn't see that. It got resolved today. I'll have to, have to produce the show during the show and find out what happened there. But let me tell you this part of the story I do know. Uh, Cash Kyle posted on March 7th, four days ago. Kevin Jana, who lives in San Diego, recently won the LA Poker Classic High Roller for $260,000. I only know some of the scams he's been a part of, but I feel it's time to make it public. I have a feeling more will come out. For the, 200, for the 2012 fantasy football season... What does that sound familiar, the fantasy football season? Oh, yeah, Eric Lindgren. I think you guys should stay away from fantasy football bets with other poker players. Even if they seem bad at it, you might never get paid. Kevin made a series of fantasy side bets with people. Think Lindgren style, he writes. The main people he owed were me and uh, a guy named Jay Fitzpatrick. He currently owes me $11,600. I can't remember how much he owes Jay Fitzpatrick, but I sent him an email so that he can come in the thread. He didn't pay and made a series of excuses why he couldn't pay. I just assumed he's broke and using face-saving tactics. Anyways, I see on Poker News that he's crushing the LA Poker Classic High Roller Final Table, and then he wins it for 260000 I message him. He says he's willing to pay half of it. I accept this. What? That's crazy. Can you believe that? He's willing to pay half, and he accepts this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I, I kind of know where he's coming from, but wow, but to accept that is really uh, enabling the person to cheat you. I accept this. I know this is all I'll ever get from him. He says he doesn't want to pay half. He wants to flip for it. So It's not enough that uh, he only wants to pay half for no good reason. He also now wants to uh, do a flip for it. <laughs> really great guy, this Kevin Jonathan. So either he owes nothing or the full amount. So he's saying that he he's going to start. For some reason, he owes the full amount, but he says I'm not. I'm just not paying you the full amount. I'm I'm going to pay you half, but I don't want to pay you half. Instead, we're going to do a fifty-fifty bet, where if I win, I owe you nothing, and if you win, then I'll owe you the whole thing, which I should have owned you in the first place. I I don't know how this uh, Kyle guy agreed to this, but he did. Uh, so he so he writes. He says he wants to do it on a basketball game because we aren't in the same city. I let him pick the game and team, and we split the Pinnacle line. Pinnacle is a uh, very trusted and well-known sports book that is known to set very solid lines. So I'm thinking, you know, you take whatever the line is on Pinnacle on each side of the game, you've got a 50-50 shot. 
I draw up a contract for him to sign, send it to him. He doesn't sign it because he said it won't work on his phone. He's saying he can't open the contract and can't sign it on his phone. So, uh, so he says, I end up winning. He refuses to pay. The other scam I know he ran was where he was working with uh, a guy who is here as a Ah Snap for a while, but ended up screwing him over as well. I messaged Ah Snap so he's aware of this thread. I have a long series of emails and texts that I wasn't sure whether to post to or send to a mod. It's way too long to put in the thread. If I posted here, this thread would be way too long, but I do feel they need to be seen. The excuses Kevin makes are delusional. Kevin cannot be trusted, and anyone who's involved with him has got to be careful. So that's, Already, on March 7th, this sounded pretty bad, that uh, basically Kevin Jana owed him 11600 from Fantasy Football, only agreed to pay half for no apparent reason, and says, I'm not paying half, we're going to rebet this on a basketball game, double or nothing, to where uh, if, if I win the basketball game, I owe you nothing for some reason, and if, and if uh, you win, then we're back to the original amount I owed you. I mean, talk about really shady. Obviously, everyone was saying, look, you agreed to a free roll here. The guy was never going to pay you. He was just using this as a way to uh, clear the debt. If, if the 50-50 goes his way, and his team wins then he gets out of this debt, and if it doesn't, then he just makes an excuse and can't pay you again. So, Kevin Jana apparently appeared in the thread, and here's what he wrote first. Where is it? Here we are. Just would like everyone to know, this is Kevin... I will come out with a detailed version of this whole story tomorrow. I definitely have had issues with Kyle. He has tried to threaten me on numerous occasions. He's told me if I don't pay him X amount, he's going to make a threat about me. Oh my god, isn't that terrible? We'll post full details tomorrow. So so Kevin Jonna coming up saying, Hey, uh, there's more to the story. He was saying that uh, if I don't pay him what I owe, he's going to make a threat about me. He's making threats to me. Well, yeah, of course. You owe the guy money since 2012 and you're not paying him. Of course he's threatening to make it public. I mean, I wouldn't call it a threat. It's not like he's threatening to kill you. He's threatening to make people aware that you scammed him, to shame you into paying possibly. I mean, that's not a threat. So people then waited for the post by Kevin. And... uh, Let me find this post he made here. It's unbelievable, the the excuse we got from uh, Kevin Jana in that thread. All right. My experience with Kyle has been very different than any I have than any I have experienced. And by the way, people in the thread, including China Maniac, who's co-hosted the show with many times, said that this Kyle guy is very trustworthy and has never given anyone a reason to think he's a liar or not trustworthy. So the guy making the accusation seemed pretty solid from what everyone said. So this is Kevin writing. My experience with Kyle has been very different than any I've experienced. I want to start off by letting everyone know that this whole situation was one and a half years ago. If he really felt I owed him the money, why not come out then and explain his story? Reason is because he knew everything was very debatable and everything was in such a gray area at the absolute best. No, that's not why. The reason he didn't come out was because he was afraid he wouldn't get paid. It's it's the old problem when someone owes you money, you kind of want to expose them to the world and maybe shame them into paying, but you're also afraid if you do that, you might piss them off, and now they'll never pay you. 
You're hoping if you don't turn this into a personal battle, you'll have a better chance of getting paid. You also hope that maybe by them thinking you might come out and expose them, that that might be incentive for them to pay you, that whereas once you've exposed they haven't paid you, uh, you you've kind of blown your only bullet that you have to hold over their head. So um, him waiting a year and a half means nothing. This is, in fact, the common story that uh, the scammer or the deadbeat stalls and stalls, and the person, the victim, accepts the stalling because uh, they're afraid to piss off the person. They're hoping they'll get the money out of them without uh, doing anything that really sends them over the edge. Anyway, going on, he writes, He decides to come out with it now when I win a high roller and have some exposure. Well, yeah, because you have the money now. His thing is, okay, this guy's name is out right now. If I bring up this story again, he might just pay me because he's afraid of me posting about it. He actually said something very similar to me. Like, the only reason I'm outing you right now is because you won the high roller. Well, yeah, you won the high roller, so pay the money you owe. And when you don't, then yeah, he gets really pissed and and brings you out. It's not like winning the high roller at the LAPC makes you like a huge name in poker. It doesn't. He's bringing it up because it's very topical. You won the money, and then you didn't pay. And you made this ridiculous demand about that basketball game. If his story and his claim is so legit, writes Kevin, why not just come out with this a long time ago when it happened? Probably because his story isn't so legit. So as you can see, this is already a ridiculous post. I entered numerous fantasy football leagues in the 2012 season with people I didn't know. That was a huge mistake on my part. Total buy-in for the leagues equaled out to about 8500 which I paid up front. After that, we did some side bets together. Another huge mistake by me. I liked my team, and I enjoyed playing fantasy at that time, so I said, why not? I think most of us had agreements to pay like every three weeks or so. I can't remember how long it had been. When the first time payday came up, I was up pretty big. I, I think pretty much on every everyone. Then came up a new agreement that we wouldn't settle at this time anymore. We would only settle halfway through the season, and at the end, because it was just too much of a headache. So so basically, he's saying that uh, when they'd make side bets on things... Uh, they would settle up every few weeks, but then they were doing so many side bets, they're like, you know, instead of constantly settling up, why don't we just have a running tab, and in the middle of the season we'll, we'll pay off the tab. That's what he's claiming happened. Of course, I didn't want to do this, but I just went on with it. Halfway through the season comes, and I believe I was down a little, I ended up settling with a few people. A few of them owed me, so they just paid, they just paid the ones I owed. End of the season comes along, and I had my records is very close to even. I owed two people, I believe, and three or four people owed me. I noticed I couldn't get a hold of any of the people who owed me, but Kyle and another guy I owed were already starting to harass me and demand payments immediately. Most of the guys were transferring debts they all, since they all knew each other. Like if player B owes me and I owed player A, then B just pays A. I told Kyle that I was owed a few, uh, by a few people and to collect from them because A, I didn't know any of them, and, and, and B, it was pretty standard everyone was doing the same. Kyle was very mad and told me it wasn't his issue, even after I explained to him how I don't know any of the guys and Kyle was the one running the league. So I, this is a weak excuse. What he's saying here is he made side bets with a bunch of people in this league, but because Kyle knew them better and uh, and these people were not paying Kevin, Kevin's telling Kyle, hey, get the money from them. They owe me, so uh, n- now they owe you. So he's pretty much forcing Kyle to buy the debt that these guys owe to Kevin, which is ridiculous. They're, they're, they're completely separate bets. When you make a side bet with another person, that's it. You made the side bet with the other person. Nobody else is involved. If that person stiffs you, that's on you for making the side bet with someone who might stiff you. You can't screw other people because third parties stiffed you. Even if you think that uh, 
the one you owe knows the third party's better than you. Now, if you really think that uh, you got scammed in some way, like they were all in cahoots and scamming you, that's a different story, but it's clear that's not what was happening here. They, they were making legitimate side bets, and then some of them you know, were just deadbeats who couldn't pay, which I'm not defending, but that's not Kyle's problem. Kyle should still get paid. Kyle was very upset, and he started threatening me immediately. For me, I felt as if I needed to protect myself. What if the other guys and Kyle were on the same team, and one is deciding not to pay, and I would have never gotten paid if I was up on everyone? So he's saying, oh, I was being free-rolled here. But he has no evidence he was. Mind you, everyone else knew, knew each other but me. It was a big mistake on my part to enter this league and pay all the money up front without knowing anyone in the league. Well, great, but you did. You entered the league, you trusted them with the side bets, and then when you lose, you say, oh, they were probably free-rolling you. You have no evidence they were free-rolling you. If you had evidence, I'd be on your side. You have no evidence they were free-rolling. You have no evidence they were in cahoots. This is just a wild theory on your part so you can avoid paying your debts. So then he writes, I really felt free-rolled, and I felt that I would never have gotten paid if I was up on everyone. Um, I already read that part. The whole thing kind of faded away until th- 2013 summer, we were all supposed to meet up, but that never happened. Kyle then threatened me with a collection agency, and he said they were going to collect from me. I basically told him that I, if they find that I owe the money, then I have no choice but to pay, and Kyle assured me they would. We both told our sides of the story and showed evidence we had, and they basically ended up ruling that he's crazy and absolutely have no claim. This is so weird. Collection agencies don't really work like that. Um, and and the problem is, the re- if, if this even did happen... The reason for this probably is that they didn't have the proper documentation, where it was, it was his word against Kyle's, and uh, you know, without that, even if you think one guy is right, uh, legally you have no claim. But but legally having no claim and morally having a, a no claim are two different things. And you know, here he is admitting they had bets, and then he's saying he didn't want to pay because he was uh, suspecting free rolling, even though with no evidence he was being free rolled. Another thing I forgot to mention, this is what he writes, was the figure was nowhere near what he's claiming. It was a lot less. It's been so long that I don't know the exact amounts, but I would say closer to 5K when I was owed more than that. After the collection agency thing fell through, Kyle stopped contacting me. Um, now, I, I'm not going to read the whole rest of it. He has this whole long story about the game. But... Um, well, I'll read the beginning of this. He re- Fast forward to me in the LAPC high roller. I get a text from him on day two. He basically tells me if I don't pay, he's going to out me in front of everybody and bring up the story again. I was doing well in the tourney, and it isn't exactly something you want to hear or think about, so I just basically told him we'd talk when I was done. I ended up winning the tourney. He texts me and starts talking about the situation. He asked me to make him an offer. Not once did I ever agree to, to pay him half the amount. I'm not sure where he got that from, but I texted him since he and I agreed... Uh, agreed that I never agreed. So basically, I explained the whole story to my friend who came to sweat me a bit for the final table. And he was amazed. Uh, and then, you know, he goes on about the friend telling him he shouldn't have entered that league. Blah blah blah. Anyway, um, I'm not going to read the rest of this. But basically, what happened was, uh, for some reason, they ended up uh, doing it based on this basketball game, as was described earlier. Uh, somehow, he doesn't. Uh, his phone doesn't work to sign the contract. Uh, and then five minutes into the game, the uh, the Spurs are up 10-2 to two on Miami. I guess there was a Miami against the Spurs, two very good teams. Uh, the Spurs are up 10-2, to two and he says, well, I, I don't want to do this anymore because I see the uh, I see my team is down 10-2. to two. So, sorry. Uh, this whole thing's off. And then San Antonio ended up winning, and uh, and that's why Kyle feels especially he's owed. 
So what's ridiculous here is that he already had a contract signed by Kyle about this game. So even if he couldn't sign it at the time, it didn't matter. What mattered is that it's not like Kyle sent him the contract when they were already up 10-2, to 2, which, by the way, in the NBA doesn't matter that much, but um, he sent him the contract before the game, and, and while he was trying to figure out how to sign it, uh, Kevin, the, the team went down 10-2. to 2. Who cares? They already agreed this is the game they're going to play on. Who cares when you actually sign it? You, you could sign it after the game's over. It doesn't matter. Once you've verbally agreed and once the other party has sent it to you and has signed it, that's it. I mean, it's, uh, so it, it should have been super clear. And why was this game being bid on in the first place? Why were they doing this double or nothing crap with the game instead of just paying him the money? Well, how did the game enter into it? It shouldn't have. It should have been they agree how much money is owed and he pays it. There shouldn't have been no basketball game where they bid on for either I pay you or nothing. That by itself is ridiculous. So that's where it stood, and, and nobody, of course, uh, was very convinced by Kevin's argument. In fact, they're saying, Kevin, hey, look, what you wrote there pretty much verifies Kyle's story. There, there's not even anything to argue anymore. So, uh, let's see uh, Let's see what ended up happening here. Okay, here it is. I just found it. Uh, it wow, this is just, just settled at 6 p.m. today. Breaking news. Kevin paid up today. Both me and, and uh, Jay Fitzpatrick are settled. A couple of notes on this whole ordeal. First of all, 2 plus 2 proved to be a very effective medium for me getting repaid. This shows I should have made this whole, orde- whole ordeal public a long time ago, and it was a big mistake for me not doing so. I want to thank you guys for the help and support. Also, want to thank all the guys that vouch for my character as that definitely made an impact here. Finally, I don't necessarily think Kevin is a bad guy. Kevin comes from the live poker world, and from what I've seen in the live poker world, it's a very sketchy place. (laughs) People do whatever they can to fend for themselves in this world. Kevin has been screwed over by people before. To survive in it, he has become overly suspicious of people. He admits he messed up bad here, and he's learned from this. I think everyone deserves a chance at redemption, and I think responses like wearing t-shirts around the World Series of Poker are excessive. People in the thread were talking about wearing t-shirts around there about uh, him being a scammer. Uh, everyone makes mistakes, and he deserves to be given a chance to show what he's learned from his experience. So, I mean, I kind of understand why Kyle posted this. In fact, this may have even been some concession he made. Maybe Kevin said to him, look, if I pay you the whole thing, will you, and and this J. Fitzpatrick guy, if I pay you both, will you post something like semi-positive about me on 2 Plus 2 and, and tell everyone I'm not a bad guy? And Kyle's like, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, uh, he's getting $11,000 out of it, and his his friend uh, Jay Fitzpatrick is getting paid. So it was probably worth coming out here saying, yeah, I don't think he's a bad guy. But let's be honest here. Uh, this is definitely a case. I believe, the only thing I believe from Kevin is that he really did get screwed over by the other guys in the league, that he probably was owed money and didn't get paid. But uh, then he twisted this in his mind as justification for why he doesn't have to pay the people he owed. It was like... Uh, Oh, I, I remember. Uh, I remember a family I knew had uh, three kids, and I remember the oldest kid hit the middle kid, and then the middle kid went and hit the youngest kid. And I asked the middle kid, "Why? Why did you just hit the youngest kid here?" And the middle kid told me, "Well, because he hit me. He meaning the oldest kid." So he actually hit the the youngest kid because the oldest kid hit him. He he felt that was the only one he could hit. So that's kind of what happened here. 
he kind of felt like like someone hit him by not uh, paying him their fantasy football side bet. So he's like, okay, well, um, other people in the league screwed me. Now I'm going to screw you, and I, I can find justification in screwing you because you were the one running the league. So I'm just going to say it was your fault. So I mean, I don't think Kevin really believed he was being free rolled. I think this was the excuse he gave to other people and maybe even himself to justify this. And the truth is, if you think you're being free-rolled, then you shouldn't pay at all. I mean, if you think it with justification, not just that you suspect it. If you, if you really have strong justification you were being free-rolled there, strong evidence, then you shouldn't pay at all. You shouldn't be having NBA games that are double or nothing. It should just be, you are cheating me, I'm not paying you, versus I am paying you in full because I owe you this money. You should never be paying half to someone when you owe them full money. Doesn't matter what you can afford at the moment. Doesn't matter how you feel about the person. If you owe them money, pay them. Period. So, Kyle was correct in that 2 plus 2 was an effective medium to get this guy repaid. I actually uh, saw someone at Commerce. I just played at Commerce a few days ago. And um, I I saw a girl there that uh, had been cheated by a friend a number of years ago for $2,000, the guy who borrowed money from her and and then just refused to pay and got really, really obnoxious about it whenever she asked him. So I actually brought the situation up not on Poker Fraud Alert, but on a a previous site I was part of. And this actually, like, somehow shamed the guy into paying. At first, the guy got very nasty about it. Uh, I think he even threatened to dump a Slurpee on my head (laughs) for for doing this. But then, uh, then he called her up and said, all right, fine, you want the money, you want the money here, and then shipped it to her on stars. So the bottom line is, uh, yes, it can be effective, and yes, in general, it's better to call out people who are either slow-paying you or refusing to pay you or coming up with ridiculous terms to pay you than to go along with their uh, little secret game there. I always like to say, scammers love secrets. They don't want the situation to be known. The worst thing for someone who's ripping you off, especially someone whose reputation can take a hit, especially for someone who needs their reputation to get staked or backed or whatever, um, the, the last thing they want is a public spectacle accusing them of scamming or stealing or welching or anything like that. So what they do is they try to keep it private. They try to make you scared to come out. They try to make you think you won't get paid if, if you come out. And they try to insert all these ridiculous terms, and in fact, they try to make you feel like an asshole for asking them for the money. But let me tell you, when someone owes money, the asshole is the one who does not pay. The asshole is not is the one who does not even voluntarily approach the one they owe the money to. If I owed money to someone, I would feel bad. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't try to ride it out and hope they forget, or ride it out and hope they give up. I, I would feel bad and say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to pay you this much. If you know, if I can't afford it, I'll pay you this much per week. If I can't afford it, I'll, I'll pay you immediately. As, you know, as soon as I can uh, get the money over to you. It's not up to the person who is owed the money to chase after the person who owes them the money. The person who owes should pay, and if they don't, they're the asshole 100 percent of the time. The only time they're not is when it's when not a reasonable amount of time has passed. So, for example, uh, if I owe you $50 for winning the PFA free roll and you PM me about it and I forget it and I don't send it to you. You you shouldn't make a post, Druff is a scammer. 
Now, if, if I stall and stall and stall and, and just never send it to you, then you should make a post about it. Uh, if it seems to be an honest mistake, or I'm just busy, or I, I missed your PM, or I read your PM and forgot about it, then, then you then you clear it up. But once once you've cleared it up and it's clear the person just doesn't want to pay you, you should bring it out. That's typically the most effective way to get paid. And you know what? If they do get mad and don't pay you, they probably weren't going to pay you in the first place. Anyway. That's funny. Someone's saying in the chat, uh, uh, on the same thread, uh, Kevin mentioned it's messed up that Eric Lindgren uh, doesn't want to pay his fantasy football bets. <laughs> I mean, that, that couldn't be a bigger case of the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> There's no excuse to not have paid this since 2012. I mean, really. And you know what? Kevin kind of hung himself when he acknowledged there was anything of a debt. Any, it was either I owe you or I owe you nothing because you cheated me. There's no in-between. The fact that there was an in-between shows that he knew he owed the money. And by the way, um, you know, it's easy to watch TV and, and see the line drawn between the hero and the villain. The hero always does the right thing. The hero never does anything mean and vin- or vindictive uh, to someone who doesn't deserve it doesn't take advantage of people. And then the villain, it, it seems to be motivated by pure evil. And you see that in a lot of TV shows. Uh, real life is not like that. I, I don't think that this Kevin guy is evil. What happens is people do bad things and they rationalize to themselves why the bad things they're doing are okay. And if they can find any shred of rationalization, that's what they stick to. So in this case, uh, instead of paying up the money he owed, he said, well, uh, other guys owe me, and you know what, it's possible the whole thing was a scam on me, so uh, uh, I think I was being free-rolled, I'm not paying. Total excuse to both himself and everybody else. All right, so... Yeah, there was was also... uh, Oh, I... That's also seriously serious pointed out something funny that I missed too in the thread. I guess it was later in the thread that uh, I wasn't reading. He says you may have missed the fact that Kevin got caught using a dupe account in that thread which he used to defend himself. <laughs> Actually, that was the wrong sound effect. I should have used uh, should have used this effect. There we go. Or maybe this one. The account name was something like Jimmy Frick Fanboy. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to make a duplicate account that's supposed to fit in, you don't name him Jimmy Frick Fanboy. That pretty much sticks out. I remember that name in there, too. Like I, I can't tell you any anyone else that was participating in that thread, but I remember Jimmy Frick Fanboy because like that just that just sticks out like a sore thumb. Like the the first rule of being a believable dupe, unless it's a gimmick dupe where you're supposed to be seen as a dupe and kind of laughed at for being a dupe, if you're trying to be a believable dupe, you don't pick something outrageous that's going to get everyone's attention. But uh, I, I guess Kevin didn't know that. But apparently it was the same IP address. <laughs> this guy isn't even smart enough to go, I, I don't know, down to Starbucks or, or use his phone or, or something to post on a fake account. He actually uses his same computer, same IP address. Boy, that's stupid. Amazing. Amazing. 
Don Crusher also saying that Johnny Back said that uh, Kevin tried to worm out of a prop bet made when they were playing live at Bellagio at PLO last year. Uh, held up the game for 17 minutes while he refused to pay a, uh, a 5K prop bet. So, uh, yeah, it's always a pattern with these guys. There, there's no way that this is just a one-time thing or that Kevin was just legitimately confused into believing that he was being free-rolled. I mean, it's it's always when when these things come out, you, you learn a lot more about the people. They usually have scammed a lot of people or attempted to scam a lot of people before the report you're seeing. It, it's hardly ever a first time you're reading about it's much like when like a rapist is caught. A rapist is usually not caught on his first rape. A rapist is usually caught on his tenth rape. So, same thing with scammers. Same thing really with most criminals. So anyway, what a mess. I don't suggest ever trusting this uh, Kevin Jana guy again. If you do ba- if you do back him, I hope you're uh, right there when he cashes to be at the cage and get the money from him. But really, I-, I wish people would stop backing guys like that. Stop backing guys like that. Stop backing Lindgren. Stop backing Chino. Even if you think they're good players and they can win, just just stop for the good of the poker world. Just stop. Just get them get them away. I mean, yeah, technically the backing here ended up uh, getting this Kyle guy paid, but. A lot of times, these guys end up screwing their backers, or they just keep cheating more and more people, knowing that uh, they're going to get endlessly back, so why does it matter? And the cycle just keeps repeating. Okay, it's time for an editorial. Every week, I've been doing an editorial recently, and every time I've done an editorial, I get angry text messages, angry tweets, that they didn't like what I had to say. I knew the political ones would get that. I knew the drug-related one I did about Shane Schlager and his crack smoking would get that. Some feel some people feel very passionately about the whole drug legalization matter. But this one, I bet I'll still get people pissed off, even though it's not about politics. By the way, the reason I paused there, I got a text from uh, someone in the 641 area code at 7.30 p.m. about an hour ago. Druff, have you ever had wild game? And also, what's your balance related to full tilt? I'm not going to say what my balance on full tilt was. Uh, Have I ever had wild game? No, I have not. Kind of a weird question. Anyway, why don't I want poker stars in the legalized U.S. market? Because that's what this editorial is about. I don't want poker stars in the legalized U.S. market. Before I get to that, I want you to think about those post-apocalypse movies that come out every so often. The story always takes place sometime in like 2050 or sometime in the sort of near future but far enough away to where it's... uh, not coming right up, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in the future. Always after some kind of major war, usually like a big nuclear war that just decimates society. And even though it's in the future, everything has taken a big step back and is now somewhat primitive. So life and society in this 2050 world, after World War III, is nowhere nearly as advanced or comfortable as our lives today in 2014. 
where you'd think that normally in 2050 there'd be a lot of progress and people would be living better and there'd be more advanced technology, etc., etc. Instead, you see people living in tents, uh, uh, people eating cold food, uh, people fighting for the few working cars or electronic devices, people riding horses to get around, uh, things like that. So basically, what you're supposed to understand when you're watching one of these movies is that something happened to destroy all the progress that mankind had made and now they kind of had to start over and now are behind where they were previously. Whereas, typically, there's constant progression when it comes to technology and standard of living and uh, transportation, everything like that. Well, we've kind of had that happen in poker. If you think back to 2003, which is now 11 years ago, you could go on to PokerStars and you could play on better software than anything that exists today in the legalized U.S. market. Except maybe Party Poker in New Jersey. But uh, with that exception, perhaps... Everything else is not as good as 2003 Poker Stars. Which is pretty bad when you think about it. I mean, if there's anything that's advancing quickly, it's technology. So how could a program to play poker be less advanced in 2014 than in 2003? Well, Poker Stars itself is not less advanced. It's, It's actually still pretty similar to its original launch. If you played 2003 Poker Stars, you'd notice a lot of similarities and only a few differences. But how come the legalized U.S. rooms, Ultimate Poker, WSOP.com, how come they're running inferior software to 2003 Poker Stars? And they are running inferior software to 2003 Poker Stars, there's no question. So how come we're playing on inferior poker software 11 years later? The answer is, we did have a nuclear bomb dropped on us. That nuclear bomb is known as Black Friday, April 15, 2011, when all the major players in the U.S. market were busted, and they were no longer able to serve U.S. players. PokerStars was one of them. Full Tilt was another one. Now we have legalized online poker in a few states, and for the most part, the software on these sites is crap. The reason it's crap is because they had to start from scratch. They don't have the 11 years of experience to draw on like PokerStars did. Now, it's true PokerStars didn't have 11 years experience in 2003, but uh, but somehow they built a really good piece of software, maybe because they had a lot of money to put into it, I don't know. But uh, uh, the bottom line is they had to start over. The bottom line is it's almost like we're running software from the very beginning of the industry back in like the Planet Poker, Paradise Poker days of 1999. So, the new sites pretty much had to start over. The software is either full of bugs, or uh, just missing features, or uh, doesn't have all the games we want, or uh, has different other issues that uh, PokerStars never had. Furthermore, the support, especially on WSOP.com, is not as good. PokerStars had a pretty good support model down. They never had phone support, but they had pretty damn good email support. WSOP.com has horrendous support. 
Ultimate Poker, they have better support, but they still have a lot of room to improve. So why, oh why, oh why, could I be against poker stars coming in and running a legalized poker room the same way Party Poker is doing? Why? Why would I be against that when they have the best software, they have the best customer service, they have a lot of experience, they're very smart with marketing, with operations? How could I be against a company like that taking over one of these uh, online uh, legalized online poker rooms and taking over the industry and bringing kind of legal poker stars to the U.S.? Wouldn't that be our dream? Shouldn't that be what we want? How could I be against that? Especially since Poker Stars was the only one that was able to pay up after the Black Friday bus. Well, I have two reasons I'm against that. First of all, it's not fair. It's simply not fair. Now, I'm not someone who cries for the casinos. I... I watch the casino industry kind of as a hobby and also because it's related to what I do for a living, but I don't feel bad for casinos when they fail. The only time I feel bad, actually, is when it's a place I enjoy going to. But other than that, I don't say, oh, man, I I, I see the quarterly revenue for the win this month, wow, or this this year. Wow, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Man, I, I, I'm kind of all broken up just thinking of Steve Wynn. I'm not sure if he'll be able to eat this... Tonight, you know, I, got, I don't feel bad for the for the casinos. So why do I care if it's unfair to them? Well, because it's not right for it to be unfair to them. In two thousand six, the UIGEA was passed, the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act. And that made it illegal to accept real money bets for online gambling. It basically made illegal the uh, the transfer of money into these sites for the purpose of online gambling. That's that's really what it did. And Party Poker immediately got out of the U.S. market once this passed and paid a fine, which is interesting. They actually paid a fine for breaking the law before the UIGEA, which wasn't even a very clear law. So they coughed up a lot of money. They got out of the U.S. market. In the meantime, Poker Stars and Full Tilt proceeded full speed ahead, and they made a ton of money as the poker boom continued until Black Friday came in 2011. Furthermore, Poker Stars was able to grow even bigger thanks to leveraging their popularity in the U.S. to get a good international uh, player base. So they became huge. They made a fortune. Had PokerStars pulled out of the U.S. market in 2006, they would have not established the huge international market that they have today. That's why they were able to go on and have a, a still a huge player pool that was active on there even after Black Friday. It was all thanks to not quitting after the UIGEA. But the truth is, they were knowingly breaking U.S. law after that and just said, hey, screw it, we don't care, we have too much money to make. And uh, we are not, uh, we're not going to care. We don't think the U.S. government will come after us, and if they do, we've made so much money as we're taking the risk. So, 
they proceeded for four and a half more years to make a ton of money between October of 06 and April of 11. In the meantime, could the Win offer any games online? Could Caesars? Could uh, Station Casinos? No. None of them could. They had to sit on the sidelines and wait. They had to wait for legalized online poker. They couldn't get a head start. They couldn't spend a lot of money developing software that they may never get to use. They couldn't set up the proper uh, customer service uh, hierarchy to deal with it, with uh, everything that's involved with that. They set up all the payment processing. They can't do any of that until they know that they can operate legally. And for four and a half years, they definitely couldn't. And then after that, it still took some time. In the meantime, the illegal sites continued to grow, get stronger, and have a huge head start over the legal sites. Now, Party Poker, at least they backed out once the UIGEA was passed and paid their fine. So, you know, they they put their time in. They were no longer serving U.S. players after 2006. It was fair that they could come back. But, you know, when you give the finger to the government and just say, screw it, we're going to serve the U.S. anyway, get busted... You can't just waltz waltz back into the legal market with a huge edge that you gained from breaking the law in the first place. It's not fair. Someone asking in the chat room, how bad is it to break an immoral law? Oh, I'm not talking about whether it was immoral for poker stars to do that. If I thought it was that immoral, I would not have played on there after 2006, and I did. I'm not saying it was immoral. I'm saying that it was unfair to the other players in the industry. And that if you're going to then have a legalized industry, you have to reward the ones that followed the rules, not broke the rules. And that's always important. In any society, you need to reward the ones that followed the rules and not reward the ones that refused to follow them. Because all you do is establish a precedent that if you break the law, that you come out ahead. And the ones that follow the rules, the ones that follow the law, don't come out ahead. So, there's that reason... But that's not the main reason. That's not the main reason that I don't want poker stars in the U.S. market. Because truthfully, this is all between poker stars and the casinos. This doesn't directly involve me. But I'll tell you what does directly involve me. And that is the way poker stars treated their players in two matters, which showed that uh, they're not nearly as honest as they like to portray themselves to be. And I don't want any dishonest operation. I don't want any operation that will cheat you if they can get away with it in the legalized market. That's what I don't want. I always talk about, I don't want former UB employees getting jobs in the legalized poker world. That's why I was so mad when I saw that uh, Greg Pearson's iOvation was verifying information for uh, ultimate, uh, Ultimate Poker. Similarly, even though PokerStars is nowhere near as bad as Ultimate Bet, PokerStars on now two occasions has shown that they are willing to do some pretty bad things out of their own selfishness to screw players. Someone in the chat room saying, here comes FPP. Yes, yes, you're right. Danny Deadwood, here comes FPP. PokerStars and Full Tilt used to have, before, you know, before they owned Full Tilt, they used to have a very, very big marketing war going on. A very big marketing war. 
Full Tilt, as you remember, gave 27% rake back, provided you signed up through some affiliate or... I guess some people got it from Full Tilt themselves. But it doesn't matter. Most people who played regularly there got 27% rake back, which uh, basically, I think every week, was put into your account. Directly as cash in your account. So you paid uh, $100 in rake that week, you get $27 in your account that week, at the end of the week. It's your money, you can withdraw it, you, you don't have to clear it, it's, it's yours. That was Full Tilt's deal. Poker Stars had a, a different deal, which was uh, their FPP program, where you earned frequent player points, which could be spent on either merchandise or on bonuses that then you would have to clear. Uh, you could earn more than 27% through that, but uh, it wasn't quite the same. You had to clear the bonuses, you'd only have a certain amount of time to clear the bonuses. Uh, there were various ways you can get more or less out of the program. It also had to do with what level you were, whether you were Bronze Star all the way up to Supernova Elite, which is your level determined by how much you've played on there recently. Two differing programs. I'm not going to debate which one's better. But they were constantly in competition. But let me tell you something that they both agreed upon. They both agreed that this was a form of rakeback. So Full Tilt would say, we're giving 27% rakeback. And Stars would say, yeah, well, we give rakeback too. We just give it in the form of FPPs. And if you do this and this and this, you get the equivalent of 40% rakeback. And they would use those marketing tactics. They actually had their own reps show up on 2 Plus 2 and talk about how they are giving more rake back, using those words, than Full Tilt. So if FPPs were not meaningless points, they weren't promotional points that had no value. It wasn't like going down to Subway and getting a card that gets stamped, and when you get it stamped eight times, they give you a free sandwich, and then you get mad when they, they close and you, you know, they close for good and you only have seven stamps. They don't owe you seven-eighths of a sandwich in that case. That's just plainly promotional. But this was a form of rakeback. They promoted this as a form of rakeback. They promoted this as a form of returning money to you that you spent on their services. And when it came time to pay back the FPPs, they did. I'm talking about after Black Friday. They did, but at a reduced rate. They Superman 3'd everyone. They office-spaced everyone. Because if you had a remainder in your account after you bought the FPPs in blocks to, and converted it to real money, you were almost always left bet- with between 1 and 24.99 FPPs, and you could not spend them on anything. They were wasted. And you add this up among all the real money players in the U.S., and they saved a fortune. Millions and millions of dollars they saved. And people are saying, well, but look, they paid us our balances and they paid our FPPs. What did Full Tilt did? They, they, they did nothing. What about UB? They did nothing. They stole our money. Shouldn't we be happy? No. We should not be happy because stars cheated us less than the other sites did. They should not have cheated us at all. If they said FPPs were rakeback, they should pay them as rakeback. They should give us a value for every FPP in our account, and they should do it fairly, and they should do it at the rate that they always promoted them to be worth. Now, some might still make the argument that FPPs are still promotional, that they should have no value. Let me give you an example. Let's say I opened up a bar, and I was afraid that if I didn't have a great promotion that no one would come drink at my bar. They'd all stay at the bars they're used to down the street. So, I came up with a promotion for my bar, 
that was you keep your receipts or forget you don't have to even keep your receipts you come into my bar and uh, every time you order a drink I take your phone number I enter your phone number into my computer and I keep track of how much you spent at my bar when a year has passed on the year anniversary of my business being open I will give you 90% back of everything you've spent in my bar in cash you basically get 90% rake back on the drinks you buy at my bar so I bet if I promoted this deal my bar would be jammed because people would be thinking they're drinking at uh, 10% of of the price sure they have to pay full price now but they're going to get 90% back later at the end of the year so everyone drinks there my bar is very popular it's been open 364 days and everyone's waiting for tomorrow when it's been open a year and they all get their 90% back of all the money they spent at my bar all this time. But guess what? I make an announcement. Sorry, everybody. I'm closing. I've decided I don't want to have this bar anymore. I'm shutting it down. As far as your 90% back, you're not getting that either because that was promotional. That was only if my bar stays open a year. I stayed open 364 days. That's not a year. Goodbye. Sorry. Tough luck. Someone asking if this is a repeat show because I've brought this up before. (laughs) I have. I have brought this up before. You're not imagining it. Anyway, if I did that, that would be illegal. Not illegal criminally, but you could sue me and you'd win. Because you would be drinking in my bar with the belief that you're getting 90% of your expenditures back. You were there for that reason. You were led to believe you would be getting 90% back provided you waited a year. Same thing with Poker Stars. You were led to believe that you will eventually get the cash equivalent of the FPPs if you played there. And the cash equivalent of what they claimed they were worth at the time, which was 1.6 cents per FPP. Someone saying in chat, uh, Druff, the DOJ shut down your bar, not you. It doesn't matter who shuts it down. It, it matters that uh, that business is already completed, and if, if they're saying, play here and you get this percentage of your rake back, then that's what you should get back. Anyway, that was very dishonest to do. But it didn't stop there. Much more recently, we had the situation at the EPT Barcelona. And no, I'm not going to tell the whole story again. Don't, don't, don't turn off the show. I'm not going to tell the whole story again. But if you've been listening to this show, you know what happened. That people's rooms were broken into. Their laptops were stolen and tampered with. Viruses and spyware were installed on these laptops in order to uh, try to steal... Look at people's whole cards when they were playing on Poker Stars. This was done clearly with the inside knowledge of the security staff and the other staff at that hotel. And Poker Stars did their best to cover it up and is now returning to the Barcelona Arts in 2014. And all they're doing for everyone is giving them a pamphlet on how to be more careful when it comes to security. <laughs> a pamphlet's going to solve everything. Then it's obvious from looking at the whole thing what what the real story was. The real story was that this is a profitable tour stop for the European Poker Tour for Poker Stars, and they don't want to cancel it because uh, security at that hotel is shady and because some employees there are shady and because some of their players got stolen from and some of them got their laptops tampered with 
and uh, some of them got uh, scary phone calls. They, they don't care. They're coming right back. They don't want answers from hotel management. They don't want to see the culprits caught and punished or fired from the hotel. They don't give a crap. They just want to come back and make their money. Imagine coming back to that same place after all that happened without any kind of resolution. And in fact, when it was all happening, they were trying their best to make the victims just go home and let stars handle it, which means not handle it. So these two things together are proof that stars is, is plenty shady in their own right. They're just a lot smarter. They're not incompetent like Full Tilt and UB were. Full Tilt and UB were incompetent, and that's why they blew all their money. They were shady and incompetent. Stars is like semi-shady and very competent. So they can be shady and not ruin their business. They can be shady and come out smelling like roses in whatever they do, because they're great with marketing. They're great with business decisions. They're very, very, very good operationally. They've even got great software. But they're not a company I trust. You may theorize maybe Caesars would cheat you if they had a chance. Maybe this other company would cheat me if they had a chance. Fine, you know, when they start cheating me, when they start cheating mass numbers of people, when they start pulling crap like this institutionally, I don't mean like some a few bad employees, then you can make that argument. But I don't want someone in the new legalized U.S. market that is marching the lambs to the slaughter back to the EPT Barcelona without changing a thing. I don't want a company that has promised us for years that our FBPs are equivalent to 1.6 cents each rake back and then doesn't pay that out when it comes time to pay it out to us. It's funny because everybody expects their full full tilt balance to be paid to them, but some of your balance was from rake back. Somehow you don't think it's okay if they determine how much of that was rake back and take it away from you. If if the government did that, you'd be screaming bloody murder. But a lot of those same people think it's okay for stars to underpay the FBPs. But they're the same thing. They're both promised rake back. It's the same thing. Stars is just not an honest company. And they got a big advantage over the other sites by continuing to operate illegally. So it's also not fair to the existing casinos. So I don't want them back. I don't think it's fair they come back to the casinos, and I don't think they are good for poker. They're incredibly self-serving, and they're the worst kind of self-serving because they're the type that are self-serving but are so smart about the way they do it that they fool the majority into believing that they're not self-serving and that they're great for poker. The worst kind of snake is a snake that doesn't look like one. I mean, let's face it, UB, it was very clear from early on in this whole thing that they were snakes. Full tilt, we didn't know anything until after Black Friday, but then it was very clear pretty quickly that there was a big problem over there too. Poker Stars somehow escapes any kind of scandal. The closest they ever came to a real scandal that people really gave them a hard time for was this thing in the EPT Barcelona and even that they've kind of shaken off. So, I I just don't think they're the right company to come. You know, when new licenses are granted, when new players are allowed in the gaming industry, there is a process 
in which the person or company is examined and if they are not seen to be of proper quality, if they don't have a clean enough background, they're not allowed in. So I think that'll keep poker stars out anyway, because I, I don't see I don't see them getting approved by these gaming boards because of their willing willingness to break the UIGEA and to be involved with all the money laundering that they were. I think that'll keep them out anyway. But people are saying, "Oh, I want my poker stars back." You know, I I would love to have my poker stars back if they were more fair to us. But they're not. I don't know why people are saying in chat FPPs have no intrinsic value. What does that mean? That's that's legal mumbo jumbo. If the marketing department of PokerStars says FPPs are rakeback, then they are rakeback. If they are telling you to come play there because FPPs are worth a certain amount per FPP, and you can expect that in cash in some way once you've accumulated them, you know, provided you follow whatever you need to follow to get them out, then they should be worth that. Once you have them, they're yours. They should be equivalent to cash. If they don't promote them that way, it's a different story. But once they've been promoted that way, once they are used as rakeback, then it should be equivalent to money. Someone in the chat says that if the the Scheinvergs leave, uh, stars will be welcomed back. I I don't know about that. I know that's the current reason they're keeping them out, is because the Scheinvergs are uh, still involved with poker stars, and they're never going to leave anyway. And, you know, I know they do little games to pretend, like, you know, when they pretended the Esai Scheinberg stepped down, but they, you know, the, the gaming commission see through that. China Maniac asking which sites have a cleaner background than stars, though? Well, Party Poker does. They haven't been perfect, but they they haven't... Uh, I haven't seen Party Poker do anything as bad as either the FPP thing or the Barcelona thing. The only complaints against Party Poker are relatively minor. I've criticized them a few times on this show, but I haven't seen any, like real bad scandals that really bother me from Party Poker. I've just seen some, you know, little stupid things where they, uh, not stupid, but minor things. Things you kind of get annoyed with at the moment, but then get over. I know, I know a lot of you won't agree with me. I know I'll get the angry texts again and the angry tweets, and I'm expecting that. And that's fine, but that's my editorial this week. Got a text right now. They got everyone 100%. How can you say they're not good for poker? I agree with you to an extent, but no other way we were getting 100% and not 10 cents on the dollar. Yeah, but look how much money they made after that. Do you think they paid us because they were generous or thought it was right, or do you think they did it because if they didn't pay us, that the European players, of which they had a very large player pool, would have quit if they screwed the U.S. players? The smartest thing poker stars did was pay us out immediately. Because it gave the signal to the US, to the non-U.S. players, wow, this is a safe place to play. Here the DOJ comes smashing down on them and says, no more U.S. players, you're busted, and we're going to hit you with a huge, huge fine. And Stars is like, okay, well, hey, U.S. players, here's all your money back. And Euros are like, whoa, 
This place is safe. If this ever happens here, we'll get paid too. Well, this is where I'm going to play from now on. And now look, look how huge Stars is without the U.S. players. They're, they're doing great. That was a great business decision. I'm never going to criticize Stars from a business standpoint. They, they are far better with business than I could ever be. These are operational and marketing geniuses over at Stars. I'm not, I'm not going to take that away from them. I'm not going to say anything bad about their software either. It's great. I used to have debates with people. They'd say, which software do you like better, Full Tilt or Stars? There's no question I like Stars better. I thought their, star, their software on Stars, uh, with a few minor exceptions, was just superior to everything. Anyway, let's move on. Mount Gox. What the hell happened there? <laughs> uh, if you go there now, uh, they've kind of mostly gotten past their BS mode where they pretend like everything's okay and they're just uh, they're just holding on so uh, they can protect everyone's bitcoins. They're not even trying to make you believe that anymore. I can't even reach Mount Gox right now for some reason. Here it comes. So, Mount Gox, you go there and uh, there's just a bunch of press releases. And it's already kind of off-putting because they start off in Japanese. It's like, Mount Gox, blah, 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 slash spam warning. Next one, blah, 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 slash comprehensive prohibition order judgment announcement. It's like, it's like, you already think, like, when you click on it, you're just going to see, like, a bunch of Japanese writing you won't understand. Uh, but anyway, the point I'm bringing up about them this week is that someone claims that they hacked the database of Mt. Gox and have seen that the bitcoins were not actually stolen. That Mt. Gox actually had over 900,000 bitcoins according to that database. That's amazing. If true. Now we don't know if that person is reliable who's claiming this, but can you imagine that they claim they were all stolen but 2,000? They're claiming over 900,000 bitcoins should still be there. So I don't know what to think about this. Now, it's also been seen that about $113 million of Bitcoin that have been, quote, linked to Mt. Gox have been on the move. So people are wondering where those are going to go. See, the thing that everyone has always wondered about, and I have to really, really question myself is how could a company have 900,000 bitcoins stolen to where they only have 2,000 left before they realize what's happened how is that even possible I mean I can I could sort of understand if they were holding 900,000 bitcoins and 100,000 disappeared and they have 800,000 that's still horrible that's still horrible to let happen but at least you could say okay well you know, 800,000, 900,000, if you're not paying attention, maybe it could happen. But how could you go from 900,000 to 2,000 before you realize there's a problem? That just seemed like the ultimate in- incompetence stretching the realm of believability. I never really accepted that. And anyway, someone claims to have hacked the database 
and has found that those bitcoins were never really taken off Gox, like Gox was claiming. See, Gox's story was that this transaction malleability bug was used to steal bitcoins over a long period of time, over years, and by the time Gox realized it, they were down to 2,000 bitcoins. So it was believed by some that some genius group pulled this off, pulled off the theft of $500 million or so of bitcoin without Mt. Gox noticing it until they were flat broke. So, now that someone hacked the database, allegedly, and has seen that these bitcoins are still shown as being there, well, that would seem to say that uh, the bitcoin never really left Gox, and there's some something that's uh, a different story. Because if this really happened, according to the, the transaction malleability, they should be, should be gone in the database and everywhere else. Now, uh, someone is saying in the chat, Blue Odom saying, one theory is that they lost the, quote, keys to those bitcoins. So it's like like they have them, but they can't access them. That's possible. And this, uh, this has been one criticism of bitcoin in general, that they can actually be lost. Not stolen, but bitcoin can actually be lost. For example, if you have them uh, stored in a wallet on your computer, and um, your computer catches on fire, and you didn't have a backup of anything, and uh, you can't recover anything on your hard drive, it's gone. Those bitcoins were not, uh, you know, they'll never be appropriated by anyone else, but you also can't use them. It's almost like setting cash on fire. So he's saying that's one theory. Uh, Another theory, of course, is that this was stolen, that insiders in Mt. Gox, whether Mark Carpell is the CEO or other people in Mt. Gox, or maybe they did this with his knowledge, or maybe he directed the whole thing, but that uh, Mt. Gox raided their own coffers, and then when they figured they had stolen enough, just made up this story. Or maybe the transaction malleability they thought was the perfect time to close up shop and blame it on that. So that's one of the theories going around. Of course, the question is, uh, what's going to happen with those Bitcoin that were stolen? So someone saying that they're seeing $113 million worth that are linked to Mt. Gox now moving through the blockchain. Be very interesting to see where they go. I think we'll get an answer on this eventually, but right now it, it's still kind of uh, kind of like the uh, Malaysian flight that has disappeared to thin air. Uh, so have nine hundred thousand or so Bitcoin. A lot of things disappearing into thin air in two thousand fourteen, and right now we don't have an answer on either, but on both we might soon. And on both, I think we're very intrigued to know the answer. So, I just wanted to report that. I don't have much of an opinion, aside from that I don't believe the the, the story that they got stolen from all the way down to 2,000 before they realized it. That's just ridiculous. It's just, it's, just, uh, it, it's almost like a, a very large bank claiming that someone stole all their money over a period of years and they realize they have uh, only a million dollars left in in the entire bank. And you'd be saying, what? How could a giant bank lose everything but a million over a period of years and not realize it? Like, uh, you just wouldn't believe it. And I don't believe this here. Yeah, Danny Deadwood in the chat is saying, uh, maybe that 777 uh, of uh, Malaysian Airlines 777, maybe that's full of the Bitcoins. Maybe that's where they all went. (laughs) 
I mean, with, with the solve two mysteries at once. That'd be great though if that plane is found and everyone's alive and they're just uh, they're all sitting on the bitcoins. It was like their escape plan. <laughs> like like the, the, everyone who stole the bitcoins from Mount Cox is on the same flight and they uh, they staged their own disappearance. I mean, I guess with five hundred million dollars, you have enough to buy your own private island. But yeah, that's a really weird story, that plane thing. Uh, I know we had kind of a similar one with that uh, Air France flight in 2009. But uh, that one, I think five days into it, they found some debris. And also the ocean was so deep where it disappeared that it was reasonable to believe that much of it or all of it could have sunk. Here the ocean was not deep where uh, it disappeared. And then we have the weird things that were not existent in the Air France flight where uh, the plane turned around and, and flew the wrong way for th- like a few hundred miles. So odd. I believe, though, that those two stolen passports have nothing to do with it. But, you know, if I was a relative of one of the people on that flight, I would be thrilled with the news that came out today. And the reason is... You want to believe that your relative is alive. And if you ever have a relative disappear, when you don't have closure, it's just a killer. And um, it's sometimes hard to accept that they're dead until a body's been found. Or at least until you know for sure what happened. If they just disappear, you always have the hope in the back of your mind that they might be alive and that it can kill you. Well... At least today gave them some real hope and not just hope in the back of their mind. I'm not saying it's likely the people are alive. I'm just saying that uh, if the flight turned around and went the wrong way uh, and then the transponder went off after a few hundred miles of that, uh, it is possible that uh, this was intentional and that the plane has been landed safely somewhere else and just not tracked anywhere. So maybe the people are still alive. Uh as far as I'm concerned from watching this whole thing at this point, I think there's uh, one of three things that has happened. I think that either someone hijacked it and, uh, like I just said, actually had them go a different route and uh, turned off the transponder and has landed it somewhere and the people are alive but can't communicate. Or Uh, it was taken over by hijackers and the course was changed but at some point either because there was some kind of fighting back between the the hijackers and either the the crew or the passengers or both and the plane crashed or or maybe the hijackers didn't fly the plane right and they crashed it accidentally so maybe that's what happened and no one knows where to look Uh, or the third possibility is there was some kind of like bad loss of cabin pressure and other mechanical problems which just knocked everyone out and the plane continued to fly itself on autopilot and then uh, maybe these same problems caused it to go the wrong way and then eventually the transponder died and then the plane just went down. Danny Deadwood asked a good question in chat and I wondered the same thing today. Why the pilots would have the ability to take the plane off the transponder and fly. They, sh- they should never have the ability to do that. There should there should always be something that should be something that's just always transmitting 
and that nobody should have control of. And I'm, I, I have a feeling that after this, that change might be made. I haven't heard it talked about yet, but I thought about that myself. Like, like, how could that have been turned off? Like, why is that something that was an option? But I, I had no idea that that could actually be done to where this could be turned off and the plane could just literally disappear. Someone texting me where this plane took off at the same airport some of the 9-11 hijackers started in their journey to the USA. Well, I, I don't think that means much. Anyway, you know, if months pass and we don't find anything out, this will be one of the weirdest sto- news stories ever. So, moving on to our next topic. I applied for a Total Rewards credit card. The Total Rewards credit card. Well, bef- rather than say this from memory, let me. Uh, I'm just going to read you from their own website. Here we go. The Caesars Total Rewards Visa. Now, you don't need to be a Seven Stars member or anything special at Caesars. Anyone can get this. You receive up to. 10,000 rewards credits as a bonus. Now, each reward credit is worth a penny at Caesars. You can also trade them in for free play, but not at one-to-one. But uh, basically, each reward credit is a penny you can spend on anything at Caesars or any of their properties. So, if you spend $250 on the credit card in the first 90 days, you get 5,000 reward credits. And if you spend another 500 after that for a total of 750 also within the first 90 days, and you get another 5,000 rewards credits, meaning you get $100 worth of RCs as a bonus. And, uh, you know, if Caesars wants to be like uh, PokerStar, they can just say they have no cash value, but uh, <laughs> at the moment, uh, it is worth $100 at any Caesars property. In fact, it's better than $100 because you don't pay tax with them. So, like, if you go to a restaurant at Caesars and use $100 worth of RCs, you also don't pay tax on it, so it's actually like $108 in, uh, in cash. Anyway, uh, when you get the card, in addition to that, you get five times reward credits for every dollar spent at a Caesars casino on anything there. Two times reward credits for everything spent on uh, airlines, gas, and groceries. And everything else, you just get uh, one reward credit per dollar. So, I said, you know, I, I wasn't running out to get this card, but it doesn't have the best benefits. I've been doing something called credit card bonus whoring, and I want to use this moment to plug a new show that's going to be starting. In fact, it should have already started, but it was uh, the fault of the server here first, and then my fault second for not uh, leaving it in a state to where the show could be run. But we're going to have a new show here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio run by A Brown 83 Very interesting topics he's going to go over about just uh, various things that he has useful information he's discovered in life that he wants to share with you, basically. Such as uh, finding personal information on people, such as hiding your own personal information, such as credit card bonus whoring, which I'm about to explain. Things like that. So that show is coming very, very soon, sometime this month, likely. But... uh, I've been doing credit card bonus whoring, which is the art of 
signing up for credit cards with a big bonus or a, a moderate to big bonus for signing up that you get after you spend a certain amount of money. And then as soon as you're done with it, then you stop using that card, basically. So you, you just keep applying for card after card after card just for the bonuses. And you you really do get a lot of money over time. When I say a lot, you're not going to make a million bucks doing this, but uh, you know, you'll get 500 from this offer, 400 from that offer. You, know, you'll, you can apply for a bunch of cards to give you 100, and it, it adds up. And it's not a lot of trouble. The only thing you have to do is be able to spend on them in the, usually the first 90 days. So you don't want too many going at once unless you really spend a lot on credit cards. But I, I, I used to not do this, but now I, I just recently started doing this, and I've been uh, making some decent money on it. So I said, okay, well, might as well sign up for the total rewards visa. Not only is it $100 worth of RCs, which I can always use, but you know I do spend some money at uh, Caesars Properties, and now I'll get five times in RCs on whatever I spend. It's like a 5% uh, rebate, but in RCs. So I said, might as well apply for it. No annual fee. Why not? And I'm not worried about my credit score because I don't really need credit these days. And my credit score is pretty good. See, when you you open a lot of cards, it does hurt your credit. But it's not going to decimate your credit. So if your credit's otherwise good, your credit will still be pretty good. So right now, for example, uh, my credit score, I think, is like 787 out of 850, which I think is like 77th percentile in the country. So it's not like tip-top wonderful, but it's still good enough if I were to need a loan anyway. If you really, really need a tip-top credit score, like you're about to buy a house or whatever, then I wouldn't suggest doing this. But uh, if you're not going to need massive credit anytime soon, I would recommend the credit card bonus whoring. Anyway, getting back to the story, as you guys know, I'm a Caesar 7 Stars member. I didn't think that would affect this, but uh, oh, by the way, you also get uh, platinum status uh, as soon as you get approved for this card, which is good if you don't have that yet. So, I apply for the card, and it turns out that they have their own credit scoring system, that they don't do this 300 to 850 thing. They actually have their own score from 100 to 999. It's like their own internal credit score that they calculate on their own. So, they calculated my credit score and they made a decision. I got a letter from them from the bank that runs this. I forgot the name of the bank. But uh, I got a letter from them and they said, sorry to tell you, your application has been declined. Oh. I was rejected for the total rewards credit card. I might be a seven stars member. I might have great credit. I'm never late on any of my bills or any of my credit cards. I've had this great payment history of all my debts for my entire life. I haven't been rejected for any credit card in a very, very long time. And I get rejected of all things for the total rewards credit card. So I'm thinking, well, maybe their internal way of calculating my credit score, maybe their internal way of doing it gives me a bad score because I have so many cards open right now. Maybe that's what it is. So I take a look at the bottom half of the page. It says, we have our own way of calculating your credit score from 100 to 999. Uh, If your credit score is low, that will explain why we have rejected you. 
according to our formula, your credit score is 977. <laughs> so my credit course, my credit score is 977 out of 999, which is excellent, better than I deserve, I think. And yet I get rejected for the card. Now, I don't know if any of you have been rejected for credit cards before, but what's really annoying is that uh, it's almost like you're being broken up with or, or being dropped as a friend. It's more of like being dropped as a friend on Facebook where you're given flimsy justification and then you get blocked to where you can't really answer. So whenever you get rejected for a credit card, they never give you a way to call them and discuss it because they don't want you calling them and saying, man, give me that credit card. What the hell? Why are you rejecting me? I have good credit. Like They don't want to hear that from you. They've made their decision. That's it. So uh, someone in the chat room, by the way, saying this is the most Jewish segment you've ever done on the show. <laughs> that's saying a lot here. So uh, anyway... They don't want you contacting them and asking about it. So they say you can write to them. Now, writing to companies in 2014 is a freaking disaster. You you almost never get any kind of real response. You either get no response or you get a form letter. You almost never get a response from someone who thoughtfully reads your letter and then thoughtfully gives you a response. So I'm thinking there's no way I'm doing this. There's no way I'm, first of all, wasting my time on this crap and, and second, uh, going through this pointless exercise. I'll just... Screw it, I'm just not even going to get the card. And I go, you know what? I want this damn Total Rewards credit card. I want it. I want to get my 5% back when I spend anything at a Caesars property. I want to get my 10,000 RCs. There's no reason that that every Tom, Dick, and Harry should be able to get it, and I can't. Especially at Caesars. Especially after uh, all the business I've given them. I've got to get this. I know it's not Caesars making the decision. I don't blame them. But just out of principle, I've got to have this damn card. By the way, I just got a, a Dodgers card, too. But uh, I don't know which one would bother me more to get rejected, the Dodgers card or the Caesars card. I mean, these are both things that are a big part of my life, Caesars and the Dodgers. Like, how, how can I get rejected for either? It just it just makes me cry, you know? So I, I, I've got to get this stupid total rewards card. So I track down a number for the bank, and I call them up, and I speak to them, and it turns out the reason I was rejected was a weird thing, that there were too many inquiries on my credit recently. Not that I've taken out too much credit. That that I would have actually accepted. But there's been too many inquiries. There's been too many entities checking my credit, which I thought is a really weird reason to deny me for a credit card. I mean, who cares if my credit's being checked a lot? It matters if I've taken out a lot of credit, but what... Why does it matter if my credit is being checked a lot? And the reason it's been checked a lot is because of all the credit cards I've applied for. So they said that automatically caused me to be rejected. But it didn't say that in the letter. I had to find this out by calling them. So apparently they're going to resubmit this to a human being who will then make a decision upon whether I get my total rewards visa card. Which, by the way, does not work on WSOP.com to deposit because they don't let you make gambling deposits on the WSOP.com site with your total rewards credit card. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, uh, PLOL just said they know who you are and they'll figure you'll find a way to Jew, the, to Jew out their program. <laughs> That's probably true. Um, I actually think if these banks were smart, and they probably will be smart eventually, you know, all these all these companies eventually get wise to these sorts of things. 
they'll eventually keep like a database of routine credit card bonus horror abusers. I hate to use the term abusers because you know I'm, I, I'm what I'm doing is perfectly within my rights to do. I'm, I'm just taking their offer, but um, eventually they'll realize that certain people are just taking the bonuses and running. And that's why it's called bonus whoring, is you're you're using them for what you need and then uh, never speaking to them again. So, yeah, I've been credit card bonus whoring, and uh, I will keep doing it as as much as I can. <laughs> I, I'm you know I'm never gonna rip off any of these banks or anything like that, but you know if they offer me programs where I get five hundred dollars for opening up their card and spending three thousand dollars, you better believe I'll do that. So. By the way, Flipper Fair saying the Dodgers suck. The SF Giants will gladly hand you a credit card. Come join some winners. Well, first of all, the Dodgers gave me my card. I, I have my Dodgers card in hand. I used it today. And uh, the Giants had a losing record last year. So I, don't, I don't know where you've been. I think they're going to lose again this year. They, uh, they, they really haven't done very much to improve, if you haven't noticed. So, going on to our last topic. It's an open-ended topic. Ask Dandruff. Now is the time you can ask me questions in chat, calling in, or texting me. Once again, if you want to text me, 775-372-8355. 775-372-8355. You can also call that number. Make sure to show your caller ID if you want to ask me a question directly on the phone. Or you can call the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808. So I'm going to answer first. Don't ask anything yet in the chat room because I'm not reading it. I'm going to answer first some questions asked in the forum before the show by Pooh. Pooh has donated some things, including a gift card to last week's free roll. He's donated a lot to the site over time. He likes to troll me sometimes, but at least he admittedly loves PFA and uh, respects what I'm doing here. That's all I can ask. He writes, how often are you having sex nowadays? I'm I'm not going to answer that one. That's the type of thing I'm not going to answer. I will say not as much as during the first year of the relationship, but I think that's uh, pretty common. I don't think that uh, you're going to find many relationships where that's not the case. The the other problem, to be honest, is uh, when you have a son who stays up really late at night, I I guess I am answering this question, when you have a son that stays up really late at night, that also makes it tough. My, My son stays up very late at night. And the only one I can blame for that is myself and my own genes, because I did the same thing when I was a kid. I, I, I just... If my parents put me to sleep at 9, I was lying awake in bed till like 11.30. Now, I didn't have insomnia, I just wasn't tired till 11.30. What is the most expensive thing you have ever stolen? Well, um, it's not really a thing. Uh, back in the 80s, when I was a teenager, I was in the the whole phone and computer hacker culture, and uh, part of that culture involved uh, making free phone calls, which was you know, technically illegal. You're using uh, means to make phone calls that should cost money, and you're finding a way to do it for free. So I, I guess that was the most expensive thing I've ever stolen, even though it wasn't a thing, it was a service. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't do that sort of thing nowadays. I mean, nowadays, you wouldn't steal phone calls anyway because they're so cheap. But, uh, you know, when, when you're a kid, it's a different story. Uh, will you unban Limitless? Sure. He's, I, I don't even think he's banned. And I've said if he is banned. I, don't, I forgot if I banned him or not. But uh, if he is currently banned, he's welcome to come back, provided he behaves himself. 
Do I hate cats and why? No, I don't hate cats. Uh, I like dogs better than cats because dogs are more friendly. Dogs seem to appreciate you more. Dogs show you love and cats... uh, It's funny, cat owners, when the cat occasionally shows them love, they get so excited because it's so unusual. I don't hate them. I just... uh, I wouldn't say I really like them either. Can you post pictures of your radio studio? You know, I've considered doing that. I I wouldn't say yes at this time, but I might. Uh, There is... A semi-new radio studio It's a, a place I've been doing the show from For the last few months uh, It is its own I shouldn't say dedicated room The, the room's used for other things But it's uh, it's no longer a bedroom I was actually once doing it out of a bedroom And um, that's when I wasn't In other secret locations But there actually is a, uh, a Non-bedroom studio That's not a bathroom by the way That's uh, a very nice place to be and also uh, quiet away from everyone else And I, I might post a picture of it I actually bought some new equipment For that studio But uh, there's a missing wire And I don't have it yet So until I get the missing wire Which I think will happen before next week's show I'm still using the old equipment And if you saw a picture of the equipment I'm using now You would laugh It's uh, not in very good shape And it was never very expensive to begin with But I actually put some decent money Into the equipment I'm going to be using next week Provided I get that wire um, I also want to mention This is not a question Or an answer to a question But uh, Pooh has also started on Bracket Geek Poker Fraud Alert Worst and Best Posters For 2014 So check that out You can vote on BracketGeek.com You have to go to the threads about that In the Flying Stupidity Forum To find the right place to go I encourage you to vote on that You can even vote on me For being the best or worst poster On Poker Fraud Alert uh, bad guy was annoyed that I wasn't going to be uh, mentioning that, which I, I planned to the whole time. But he said, "Hey, you shingled up fucker! How can you not have the PFA worst best poster on your agenda tonight? Get with the program, you phone sex freak! They are the most popular threads of the week." <laughs> so I mentioned it. I'm not a shingled up fucker. I was only shingled up fucker for a, a short time around the time when my son was born, but that went away, fortunately, with no permanent damage. And uh, I wouldn't call myself a phone sex freak either I have had phone sex before But uh, I, 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 I was never into calling phone sex lines That, that was never a thing I did um, Yeah, I, I did it out of curiosity As like a 12 year old When I first found out about 976 numbers Like all kids in the 80s did But uh, I, I never was calling them And like actually having phone sex uh, The only phone sex I've had Has been with like Girls I've either already been involved with Or thought I was going to meet And have real sex with So uh, I just got texted that guy from 815 Would you like me to stop Texting about my boners That'd be nice You can text about other things But I think your boners have been talked about enough Uh from this guy in 954 If you had to change one thing in your life What would it be? This is by text You can say what You can't say like win the lottery This is something you did And would redo or change That's a good question It actually has to do with poker um, I, On one hand I'm proud of the fact That I have kept the money I won from poker that I had the self-control to do that And the game selection to do that On the other hand, I could have made more uh, What I would have done What I wish I did differently 
was uh, I wish I got into the whole affiliate thing when I saw it all starting off. I, I thought about it for years and years and years and didn't do it until it was way too late. Could have made a lot of money on that. I wish I wrote a poker book. Not so much for money. I would have made some money on it, but I wish I wrote a poker book uh, right around when I won my bracelet and people would have wanted to buy a Limit Hold'em book from a Limit Hold'em bracelet winner. And Limit Hold'em was still a popular game. Instead, I dragged my feet and said, ah, there's no point wasting my time with this. Uh, I, I really wish I got more into the affiliate stuff and the money in poker that was not just one at the tables. I also wish I got into tournaments when they were easier and uh, got a sponsorship and got some money that way. I kind of left that on the table too. Nowadays it's very tough to beat tournaments. Uh, back then, if you studied tournaments enough, you, you could crush them. If you know, Just like I was crushing the cash game for some time, I could have crushed the tournaments if I had uh, really had an interest, but I, I didn't. I, I was too much stuck in what I was doing. I also wish that I focused more on the uh, the heads-up bum-hunting side of uh, Limit Hold'em. So I have some friends who made millions of dollars doing that, just with very little stress. They just sat there, they waited for fish to sit with them, they'd win most of the time, and they didn't have the stress of playing those tough six max games like I did. I wish I did more of that and uh, less playing in some tough games where I was uh, at best a marginal favorite. So I, I, you know, I could have made money in a lot of those ways and didn't. Uh, another question uh, This is a PM But I'll uh, read it publicly anyway Druff, do you plan to go to Dodgers opening day? Do you have tickets yet? Answer is Not sure and no uh, The no is The no is uh, That I don't have tickets yet And the reason is I buy them on StubHub at the very last minute And get a much better deal If you buy at this point, you get ripped off Ripped off meaning you don't get stolen from, but you just pay like double what you should. And uh, I might or might not go, and if I don't go, I might go the second or third game. Sometimes I skip opening day just because uh, it's so much cheaper to go the second or third game in the series. Uh, Though I know opening day means more, but to me, like the playoffs means a lot more than opening day. And yet, opening day costs as much or more than the playoffs, so... But I am looking forward very much to uh, Dodger season, and I hope I'll be able to watch them, because if uh, Time Warner doesn't make an agreement with Verizon Fios, I won't be able to. Um, Druff, where do you think Yasiel Puig will finish in the NL MVP voting in 2014? That's a tough question. Um... I hate to say it, but I think there's going to be some regression this year. Uh, he's one of the most immature players in baseball. I mean, I I don't recall seeing a player in a long time that was that immature. And uh, I think it's going to come back to bite him. And uh, there's no question he has a, a whole lot of talent. But if he doesn't get his maturity or lack of maturity under control, uh, it's going to kill him. A good sign was the fact that he was swinging at fewer bad pitches as the season wore on. He was taking walks. He was doing things that he wasn't doing at the beginning. At the beginning, he was just swinging at everything and 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 hitting, uh, you know, just, just hitting the ball everywhere and, and finding the holes. But um, you know, eventually he learned to take walks and to pitch select. So that was a good sign. So. I'm also a little worried that he'll get himself injured with his erratic play and his 
crazy uh, outfield antics, but we'll see. I don't think he'll be the MVP. I don't think he'll be, be anywhere near there, but I think there's a good chance that he'll still have a high-quality season. But there's, there's also some chance he'll completely flame out. I hope not. They, they really do need his uh, contributions. Uh, have you received your 2014 seven-star offers yet? Do you fear Caesars Entertainment will go belly up, thus wiping out tier credits? I think he means reward credits. I hope not, because I have over $2,000 worth of reward credits right now. And uh, I don't think Caesars is going up belly up just yet. Maybe in the future. I think this year they're going to be fine. Uh, Dref from Blue Odom, do you listen to Shane Schlager's podcast with Paulie called Dope Stories? No, I have not. I've heard of it. I have not listened to it. Uh, let's see. Let me scroll up a little bit, see if I missed any questions. Will you be playing the 150K Invitational at Harrah's in April? No. Uh, let me see. Trying to see any other questions here. Druff, do you think the U.S. economy is headed in the right direction? Um, that's a very general question. I, I think some things are improving. I think the housing market is improving very slowly, but it is improving. Um, I, I don't. I, I think the healthcare thing is still going to be a disaster. I think there's a lot that was not addressed with our healthcare. That needs to be. Uh, I think that um, there's a lot of consumer debt in our economy that has yet to really show itself, and and consequences will come from that. Um, as far as the economy itself, I, it's hard to tell. Uh, he says tier credits. I, I I don't think your tier credits will be wiped out. Tier tier credits, JSTAT are. Uh, you know what they are, obviously. That's uh, representative of your play at the casino rather than um, rewards you've earned. I could much more see them wiping out your rewards credits if another company buys them than I could removing the tier credits. The tier credits are representing to the new company if you're a big player or if you're not a big player. Um, will you sell pieces for the World Series of Poker main event? Answer, yes. Oh, and that reminds me. I don't know. Did, did I read my... Uh, my schedule of events? I don't know if I did last show. Someone tell me if I, if I read it. I don't remember if I read it last show. If I didn't, uh, yes, I posted it in the 2014 World Series of Poker forum, which I created here on Poker Fraud Alert, and yes, I'll be selling pieces. I just have not priced the pieces yet, but yes, I will. He says, I'm due for top 100 in the main event. I hope so. I hope I'm at least due to cash. I've gone three years surviving through like 83 to 88% of the field busting before me without cashing. Pretty brutal. How many days a month do you average playing live poker? Not very much, though recently I've been going uh, to Commerce about once a week and playing long-ass sessions. I just played a like 20-something hour session there this weekend, and I played 100, 200 most of the time, and I won a whopping $332. I was up over 5 k and I chunked it off. But that's easy to do at 100-200. Druff, do you believe Paulie when he said he was making 2 to 3 k a day by doing that affiliate shit, the World Series, in like 2005-2006? Uh, yes, that's why I regret not doing it myself. You know who made a lot in that affiliate crap also was Stocks Trader. I know he ended up being a, uh, a colluder and, and uh, a cheater, but he did a lot of this stuff right. I was kind of jealous of some of the decisions he made that I did not make. The one decision I was not jealous of was the decision to cheat, but uh, everything else, uh, um, he, he did some things right that I wish I did. 
let's see. I'm reading if there's any other questions here in the chat. What's your handle on Ultimate Poker and WSOP.com? I'm not going to say that, and I don't want anyone posting it, if you know, but some people have figured it out from various powers of observation. I've been impressed with uh, some people's ability to critically think here (laughs) and figure out who I am on both sites. So... I have been outed, but not publicly. I've been outed by a few people. Are there any Vegas hotels you would not recommend staying at? Yes, uh, I would not recommend staying at the Stratosphere. It's a crappy place, and it's in a terrible area. Uh, I would not recommend staying at Palms or the Rio unless you are okay with being on the, quote, wrong side of the Strip. You really don't want to have to walk over that bridge over the freeway to get to the strip it's it's not that short of a walk and it's kind of a crappy walk and there's cars zooming by you it's just it's just an unpleasant thing especially in the summer uh, also I would stay away from the quad formerly Imperial Palace that's a dump uh, I would stay away from uh, let me think what else Circus Circus stay away from uh, the Riviera I mean, that's the end of the strip, but still considered strip. Uh, trying to think what else. Excalibur and Luxor, I, w- I wouldn't uh, stay at those places either. They're not as bad as some of the other ones I mentioned, but definitely not very good places. One of my friends stayed at the Luxor, and uh, he gets there and he takes a picture and posts it on Facebook of the lamp had no lampshade on it. It was just a, a bare light bulb. And I said, how the hell does that happen? How the hell does that happen? Does someone really steal a light shade from the lamp at the Luxor? How do you walk out of there uh, with a light shade? Uh, would you stay at the D? No, I, I haven't been to the D, but any of these repurposed downtown hotels I, I think are probably crap. And just downtown is just... It's okay to visit to look at the Fremont Street experience, but it's, it's really just... It's not the strip, and it's just... It's it's just really really gimmicky and uh, it's not somewhere you I don't even like the crowd it's kind of a trashy crowd there I just wouldn't want to be there for any length of time. Uh, let's see, have you played in any of the New, Jer- New Jersey rooms? No, I haven't been in New Jersey since they opened. Uh, let's see, what's the best bang for your buck? hotel to stay at on the Strip. Well, I I hate to promote uh, Caesars properties, but uh, Flamingo, I've heard they've renovated their rooms. In fact, I had a friend stay there recently. They sent me a picture of their room. It looked looked pretty nice to me. And uh, it's got a great location, the Flamingo. It's it's right on Flamingo and and Las Vegas Boulevard. It's, It's very close to Caesars. It's right across the street. And it's still fairly cheap because it is an older hotel that they renovated, so it's it's not going to go for the price that like Caesars would, or even uh, like what Paris or Bally's would. And uh, so, if you're looking for something that's that's cheap, but uh, you know, if you stay in one of the renovated rooms, I, I think is decent is the Flamingo. I haven't stayed there myself, but I, I saw the pictures my friend sent me, and I was uh, semi impressed.
Darkstar saying, when we stayed at the Tropicana, there were red stains on the walls, cigarette burns on the sheets, and pillows, and a foul smell in the corner of the room. When we checked out, I laid down on the floor of the room, and my buddy gave me a chalk body outline with tape. I'm sure the cleaning staff was amused. (laughs) Any news when Drexel will return back to the radio program? Drexel is traveling throughout uh, the United States in the month of March. Uh, I believe he's still in Atlantic City right now. Uh, He will probably return to the radio program in April or May But again this will not be a Weekly return It'll be whenever he feels like it return He just doesn't want to commit But he, he also misses doing radio So he's going to take an in-between sort of thing With coming back to radio On and off Let's see uh, Lou Father suggesting Harris is a place that you can stay Not that bad, great location That's true too I used to. Now this is years ago this is more than 10 years ago, but that's actually where I used to stay more than 10 years ago was Harris because it uh, it wasn't bad as far as the room was concerned. And it was very cheap, even though I didn't have any kind of status there. I was the bottom tier card, but, you know, I actually got comps even being a gold card then. And if I didn't get comps, it was very cheap, like $59, and, and the rooms were okay, and it was a great location, so... Um, Let's see, any other questions in the chat room or through text? Otherwise, this show will be over. What do you think of having a shot clock in poker, Donk Crusher asked me. A shot clock meaning uh, you have a certain amount of time to act, and if not, your hand gets folded. As long as it's long enough, I actually would be for that. Something I hate about um, tournaments especially is... uh, the waiting when someone is tanking and you you just feel like pulling your hair out because uh, it's a little better now that you can bring your phone there and use your phone but you know someone's all in like I think oh I don't know if I should call I don't know if I should call I don't know if I should call. Oh, are you bluffing are you bluffing I'm like, my hand's so good I can't lay this down and you you just sit there and and seriously serious is saying shot clock is not the answer individually punish serial tankers that's I can't even say that's true because even I've been guilty of of Tanking for a long time And I'm not a serial tanker But um, I I think that um, I I wouldn't mind At least in some tournaments With a a shot clock Not not an unreasonable one Not where you're forced To make decisions In 15 seconds or something But but something like uh, Where you just can't Exceed a certain amount of time So you don't have a, A super delay of game there I know, and I know. By the way, seriously, serious is not accusing me of being one. I'm just saying that I'm not one, and yet I can understand people being annoyed the times I have tanked for a long time. My longest tank ever, by the way. I made the correct decision, and then I got burned for it. Uh, this was in a World Series event, a, a six max no limit, where we were down to, uh, I think, ninety something players, and um, I had Ace Ten. And I, I don't remember the details of the hand anymore, except um, a guy went all in on a 10-high flop. And I correctly determined, there was more to the story than that, but I correctly determined that uh, he didn't have me beat, that he had Jack-10, Queen-10, or King-10. That just from everything I saw from him, that's what I was putting him on. So even though it was a big all-in, I called. And I couldn't believe I was calling off that much that late in the tournament with uh, just top pair. And he turned over King-10. And I, I 
felt like a freaking genius until the king hit the turn. <laughs> then I then I, I was just thinking, so sick, that's so sick because I would have doubled up to a big stack and uh with ninety like ninety two people left in the tournament. Oh well. Uh, any other questions? Seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Here's a text. What's the minimum you would sell poker fraud alert for? Hmm. Well, I don't know. Um, the reason it's hard to determine what I would sell it for is because I have an emotional attachment to Poker Fraud Alert rather than a monetary attachment. Um, it also would depend if I could go start another forum. Like, could I go take gamblingfraud.com, which I currently own, and start my own forum there? Uh, or would I have to sell it and basically leave these forums and not start one similar to it. If I really had to start, you know, just kind of walk away from it and not start a similar one, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I would do it for. Because, you know, I, this community has been part of my life for the last 10 years. And, and I've been doing this radio show regularly. If I had to give that all up, uh that would be something that I, I wouldn't enjoy doing. Now, if some large sum of money was offered to me, then I'd have to take it. But uh, I would sell it. I wouldn't sell it for anywhere what it's actually worth. So, like, if you gave me what its actual value was, which I, I don't even know what it is, but if you gave me what its actual value is, uh, there's no way I would take that, unless I was done with it anyway. So. Uh, Natural Born Hustler said this place would crash and burn without druff. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I have an ego here, but that's actually probably true. Uh, you, if it was a huge community like 2 plus 2, it wouldn't. Then you have just such a large base of users that uh, as long as it's... Uh, kept running and kept from plunging into anarchy then it'll keep going but uh, yeah, this forum it, it needs the participation from the owner kind of directing things along and, and keeping everything sane or, or otherwise it, it probably would fall apart so uh, I have thought of by the way I have thought of what will happen to Poker Fraud Alert if I die I mean I will die one day but what if I die unexpectedly at an early age? For example, this year. What if I was on that Malaysian plane and just disappeared? Well, disappeared is a little bit different. You wouldn't know if I was dead. But let's say you knew I was dead. What would happen to it? Would it just sit unmoderated until the bills weren't paid and went down? So I've actually been thinking about what to do. And I actually think I want to designate someone to run it. I'm still deciding who that would be. 
but uh, to designate someone that I'd have a family member contact and give whatever necessary information to pay the bills here to keep it running. But I think I actually do want the site to run if I were to have an untimely death. And hopefully that person would uh, uh, do it well. <laughs> Someone's saying, Poker Fraudler presented by Benjamin would tell us. I don't think it'd be Benjamin. I don't think he'd be the right guy at this point. But I, I would I would like to think of like Poker Fraudler living on after I was dead. If I were to die an early death. So, it's, it's not in my will right now. It wouldn't even have to be in my will. Uh, all I'd really have to do is give this to a relative to say, if I die, then contact this person and give them this information. And provided they've already agreed to do it, then they could get it that way. And if that, and if I don't die, then the relative wouldn't wouldn't contact them and give them the information. It'd be that simple. Um, let's see. Druff, would you ever consider squashing the beef with Mycon? Well, we already have squashed the beef. We're not beefing with one another. We're just not going to be friends again. So, if you're asking would I consider being friends again with him, the answer is no. Uh, also, if you asked him the same question, he would not be able to be friends with me. Well, that's done. Uh, Druff, what would your advice be to individuals who have a huge score in poker? Put some in bankroll, invest in stocks, etc.? I have a very simple piece of advice for you if you have a huge score in poker. The simple advice is do not change your lifestyle very much from the way you were before you had the huge score. And that doesn't mean you can't buy a few nice purchases, such as, you know, if you're driving a piece of crap car, you want to buy a nice car, fine, go ahead. Uh, You're living in some crappy one-bedroom apartment, you want to upgrade where you're living, go ahead. If you want to buy a house, at least that's an investment. But, But don't upgrade your lifestyle in just the way you spend. Don't look at money like like it's just no object. Don't look at money like it's just something you can waste and just buy whatever you want, whatever you see on a whim. Um, pretty much treat money the same as you did before you had all the money and you'll see that it will carry over into everything else you do and you'll hold on to the money you have. Once you stop valuing money, that's when you're going to lose it all. People sometimes ask me, why do you bother with this bonus whoring at $500, $400, $100, you know, uh, you know you're not going to make big money on that at all, why are you wasting your time with it? It's because I value money. I wouldn't do this if the bonus was with $20, that wouldn't be worth it, but, you know, to me, like $500 is still $500, that's still a substantial sum of money that, that actually can can buy some nice things. So, why wouldn't I if it's not that much effort? So, you, you just shouldn't change your view on money too much, and your view on how you're going to spend money, and you'll be okay. Also, don't change too much about how big you have to gamble and how much you have to gamble. Uh, don't raise the stakes of what you're playing just because you have more money to play with it. Now, if you really think you have the ability, if you know you have the ability to beat a bigger game, you just didn't have the bankroll. Like, let's say you're a 1-2-no limit player, but you crush them there, but you just don't have enough money to play 5-10 or 10-20, but you know you could beat the 5-10 or 10-20 people. If you hit a big score, fine, then try 5-10 or 10-20. But don't just go to 5-10 or 10-20 because now 1-2 doesn't seem like it's enough for you because you've made all this money. You have to make sure you're good enough. Druff, is Tiffany Michelle hot in person? It's a funny question. Um, the first time I saw Tiffany Michelle in person, I thought she was really hot. 
Uh, I didn't know who she was. No one really knew who she was then. Uh, but I, I saw this girl. She was wearing like an orange shirt, and uh, I, I thought she was really attractive. And then I saw her other times after that, and I, I didn't think she looked that good. I, I didn't think she was ugly, but I, I, I didn't find her anywhere near as attractive as when I'd seen her that first time. Then other times I had seen her after that, and then she looked better, and then other times she looked worse. It was really strange. She has a lot of variance, Tiffany Michelle, so I can't really figure out whether I think, like, how attractive I think she is. Uh, Salinmar asked, during your time as a programmer, did you witness anyone who binked huge during the dot-com bubble? Yeah, that's another mistake I made. I, I could have been one of those people, too. I, I got too settled in at a company that wasn't quite big enough to uh, go to the stock option thing. They They weren't publicly traded. They were getting close, but didn't quite get there. And I, I just stayed there because I was happy. And then shortly after everything crashed, then I became unhappy there. Not because of that, just because things had changed. And I regretted staying on. I, I should have just left and thought more of myself. Uh, I did know someone who did well during the uh, dot-com bubble, but un- unfortunately this person held on to the stock for too long and uh, it went down to zero. <laughs> so they didn't do so well anymore. Uh, let's see here. People always say invest in stocks if you have money, but you have to know what you're doing. Don't just, don't just invest in stocks so you can say you invested in stocks. You're you might lose. That's like telling someone to invest in stocks is like saying go play poker. If you're a winning player, sure, but if you don't know what you're doing, that's not good advice. Uh, what do you think Bitcoin's real intrinsic value? What is a Bitcoin, and what value does Druff think its value is? Well, it has no intrinsic value, but it, it does have a current value. Uh, and and what do I think? I I think right now if it uh, if it falls under 500, you watch for a comeback, and uh, as soon as it starts going back up, buy in. Because I think around now the I think the true value is around 500. When I say true value, I mean where it kind of should be. I think right now it's still overvalued, though I think it's eventually going to fall below that. In fact, I'm sure it'll fall below that eventually, but uh, I, I think that uh, 500 is kind of the magic number right now. But don't just buy the second it falls under 500 because uh, it may keep falling, and you you always have to watch out that this is like not the final crash. You have to wait for a crash, and then as it just as it starts to move back up, do it. Uh, what is your take on the Satoshi Nakamoto story? It'll be one of the last questions I take. Uh, maybe we'll do the segment again next week. Well, th- this is so strange. I at first, I'm like, wow, I can't believe that all this mystery about Satoshi Nakamoto, and it turns out his real name is Satoshi Nakamoto. It's like, talk about hiding in plain sight. Uh, then it starts to appear that he's not the right guy and that that Newsweek author was an idiot. But now it's starting to appear again that he is the right guy. So now I went from thinking, wow, he's the right guy. That's kind of funny, but I believe it to, oh, wow, they screwed up. This is a big bed shit on the part of Newsweek. He isn't the right guy. And now I think I think he probably is the right guy, but uh, I'm not sure of it. But who knows? I think if he really did say I'm not involved in that anymore, that if he really said that and he wasn't misunderstood, that's pretty much the smoking gun. 
I, I don't think there's much of a chance that another Satoshi Nakamoto got involved with Bitcoin, but isn't in anymore and isn't the same guy. All right, so you know something about Tiffany Michelle, by the way, she was homeschooled, and I don't think homeschooling is a good idea. I think when you get homeschooled, you don't really get uh, an idea of how to deal with other people, and and you can get kind of a, a warped way of uh, of thinking of yourself, and I think that's what people saw out of Tiffany Michelle as they got to know her more, and uh, even some of that came out during the World Series broadcast. I will say the World Series broadcast, obviously they edit to show what they want, but uh, you know I've seen Tiffany Michelle's behavior directly, and while nothing's been like terribly egregious or awful, uh, she, she does kind of have a, a living in her own world, not really thinking of other people sort of mentality. And that tends to happen from what I've seen to homeschool students, and it is true you'll learn more in homeschooling, uh, provided your parents want to put the time into actually doing it. Because you know, one-on-one tutoring is always better than a, a classroom environment. It's just more personal and, and it's more tailored towards your strengths and weaknesses. But uh, I, I just really think it's important, even if you're with a bunch of assholes at school that you don't like, uh, I, I think it's important to learn how to deal with the assholes and, and, uh, and just... Uh, learn in some ways that, that you're no one special. So, I, I've people I've known who've been homeschooled, you, you can kind of tell from observing them that uh, that may have affected them. Just a little aside there. Anyway, um, I think that's about it for this week. Got a three and a half hour show out of another lighter agenda no co-host and I'll tell you I kind of feel like I need a drink too not an alcoholic drink but a drink didn't bring enough water in here so we'll be back next week March 18th at 6.30pm Pacific time Pacific daylight time now it's daylight savings I forgot about that so much nicer having it uh, lighter later in the day. Maybe next week we will know if Mount Gox really stole all the bitcoins. Maybe next week we will know what happened to that Malaysian flight. Maybe they're all on an island somewhere. Maybe the TV show Lost is coming true. We will find out next week. Seems like when I predict things like what we'll find out next week, we always seem to find it out, too. And I'm sure we will have more to talk about in the world of scams and scandals and poker. Maybe Steve-O will answer about his uh, association with Poker Newsboy and what he knows about superwins.eu. <laughs> There's a lot of things we'd like to know. A lot of things always happening in the world of poker. And I'm here to report them every week for you after playing an 80s song that you may or may not have heard for quite some time. I will be here every week with a revolving door of co-hosts, even if some weeks that revolving door is empty. And 
try to be here every Tuesday as much as I can and stick to the regular schedule, even though we've deviated from a lot recently. I'd like to give a shout-out to Leo Wolpert, who I know listens to this show. He tweeted to me that he has been listening recently and uh, enjoys it. Doesn't like my editorials, but enjoys everything else, so thank you to Leo and to everybody else who listens. We have a mixture of uh, amateurs, pros, and just people fascinated with poker and gambling. Anyone who listens to this show, I appreciate it. I really mean that. Uh, I wouldn't do this show if we didn't have an audience. Thank you, good night, and shalom.